Welcome to Mares in Black, the podcast for hobbyists by hobbyists. I'm Jackie. And this is Heather. And we are back for episode eight. It's been a little while. Sorry, guys. Yeah, we had uh, we had <laughs> one time not enough going on and way too much going on. Uh, so, yeah, and it's a, yeah. just a li- it's it shouldn't be, but it's been a little slower w- with doing podcasts because uh, of life things. So. Yeah. Uh, we'll try and speed it up towards Christmas, yes. but we can't guarantee anything. Stupid life interfering Stupid with my life. hobby. I know, right? Right. Like, I'd like to do it twice a month, but I just don't know if that's possible. Well, it's just getting the schedule. It's, it's, it's us getting time to kind of sit down. Um, I know for me, my job has been crazy bananas for no really good reason. Um, and we're trying to stop it being crazy bananas, but so far the, uh, it's too early to tell if the implementation strategies are working. The, the an- anti-banana policy. The anti-banana policies. It's, <laughs> it's a, it's a multifaceted front. So anyway, so that's, that's what I've been doing is, is stressing out about work. Well, we just, yeah. We just had a big, my job, we had a huge trade show with a bunch of people all stuffed in one booth and there was just a ton of stuff we had to do for it. And, it was eating my lunch every day. And the last thing I wanted to do when I came home was deal with the podcast. Like, I know that sounds terrible. That it should be a release, but it's, it, it's really a second job. So, yeah. So happily, Me- meanwhile, it's a, it's a second job. We can deal with it when we feel like dealing. Yeah. With it. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, the show's really long because while we, you know, took a little longer to get it out of, you know, production from the artists and events and everything went bananas. Cause it doesn't stop because we do. Mike, I just do want to say one thing. Can everyone, everyone just calm down, just dial it back just a tiny, tiny (laughs) bit, just a little. What do you want us to do, Rob Banks? I know. Like, you know, it's not like we're into insider trading here. You know, we can't. Guys are way too prolific. We're not dealing with that kind of money. (laughs) Um, Uh, Yeah. Okay. So, So. So, um, lots and lots of people, um, liked the last episode, let everybody know on Facebook. It's a long list this time. Um, but we heard, uh, from Nikki Button and Kirsten Wellman, um, Christina Lucas Francis, um, clean, cleaning up greenware to, uh, Mares in Black down at Hagen Renner, Hagen Renner, Tennessee. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool. It was, Christina was in the picture. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, Wendy Ward with uh, Two Horn Saddlery, Leslie Osborne, Amanda Brock, Amanda Reed, um, Melissa Hart, and Heather Jackson Lane. So yes. we're so happy that you Thank guys you. listen Yay. while you're doing stuff. It's, it's exciting. I'm, I'm glad people use the pro, the podcast for that. Yeah, a lot of people tell me they drive to it or, you know, they, they uh, do it while they're working. Which is a great thing about mm-hmm. podcasts, you know, you can, it's, it can be passive, so yeah. you can, you can do other stuff while we drone on. <laughs> or, you can, uh, or you can jump right in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've had a ton of people tell me they like try and talk back to us and they're like, oh, they can't hear me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to, I have to send an email. Hang on. Uh, mentoring project update. So we've had, um, a, a number of connections. I believe we, uh, we, uh, hooked up, uh, Kirsten Wellman with someone and Jennifer Scott and uh, Jennifer Buxton. And I have taken on two people um, as quasi mentors. uh, uh, Just I'm helping one, uh, one local person get their show ready to go. And 
uh, Renee uh, Grinlabs, we had a show for her, uh, a judging clinic with her that we'll uh, do a roundtable for later in the show. Um, we still have plenty of mentors and mentees looking for people. I know um, I know we have a couple more I've got to put on the webpage that I've been kind of slack on, so forgive me. Uh, I'll get those up uh, this week. Yeah. Um, and then uh, new countries. Yay! <laughs> So, uh, so recently we've gotten listens in Greece, Italy, Czech Republic, the Czech Republic, and, and Russia. Yay! Yay! We finally got Russia. Finally got like, Russia. One of those tack makers decided to listen to us. Thank I'm you. I'm so excited. So, so yeah. So uh, we are. I'm. I'm really excited about the Czech Republic and Russia because because I you know I was starting to think that they just don't get our stuff over there. So it's really good. Let's also we have we have had a listen in almost every state at least one except for Hawaii. What is going on Hawaii? I'll tell you what's going on in Hawaii. Hawaii, you don't have any worries in Hawaii and you just sit on the beach and drink mai tais. That's what I did in Hawaii. That's and drove into trees. No, Dave drove into trees. <laughs> <laughs> um so <laughs> We know there's a couple of hobbyists in Hawaii. We will not name drop them yet. Yeah. (laughs) But we're going to shame you sooner than later. You know. We need to to complete our our puzzle. I need to get all 50 Uh, states, man. We also, we have one listener in Alaska, one in Mississippi, and one in Wyoming. Um, So, whoever, God bless that hearty soul in Alaska. Yeah. That's, you know, at an ice fishing hole listening to mayors and (laughs) That would be awesome if that is where they were listening to us. Alaska listener, if that is where you are listening, please write us in and tell us. Oh, and send me some sockeye salmon. Oh, yeah. Yummy. <laughs> I'm, still waiting, on, I'm still waiting on chocolate. Again. I'm still waiting on chocolate fondue from Switzerland. <laughs> okay. All right. And um, our next show is going to be focused on Stampede, so we're probably a month out on that. Um, we'll be at Stampede. We're going to be hanging out a day or two afterwards. So our hope is things are a little, well, the prior events, they do tend to be a little less packed with stuff. There's more downtime. Yeah. So hopefully we'll have time to talk. And we're to actually not staying in the, the main host hotel because, well, A, the block sold out, but B, the, the place we're staying is is super nice. It's so the we'll, secondary we'll, host hotel. We'll probably be living in the spa. Probably. <laughs> can find us there. So, yay. Uh, yeah. So, I think that wraps up the intro. Let's go into the news. All right. Welcome back to the news. Uh, we're going to start out with corrections because while we are not a journalistic outlet, we like to at least correct our mistakes. Yes. And we, um, we, made, a, we made a plethora. <laughs> we made a plethora. Uh, first off, I want to apologize to Christina Riley and Cynthia Briley for mixing up the uh, mini Alvarozo that was the black CM from the last show. Mm-hmm. Um, I was contacted and by Christina to let me know that Cynthia was the one that did the horse. So sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but credit credit where credit is due. Um, yep. Also, um, Ashford and Kumar are apparently the same place. It's like Ashford at Cool. <laughs> yeah. Or so, like that. so we were so both, we were both right, correct on that. And we were both wrong. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, um, uh, apologies to Jamie Castleman on her mini Hawk. It was a mini and not a micro. Still lovely. Um, um, and it I'm, was a bigger scale. Yes. 
What were you going to say? I'm sorry. I was going to, I was jumping the gun. It's oh. cool. <laughs> Go ahead. I was all anxious. I actually didn't want to say this one. We also right. learned that it's the the resin the little resin fjord's name is it's not Lyranimo. It was it? It we thought it was Lyranimo. It's Ironimo. Because we thought it was an L. Right. It's not, it's an I, so I assume it's Ironimo. Ironimo. Yeah. Yes. And I, me and Nikki Button and some other people had a long discussion on Nikki's page for it. Like, is it an L or an I? I don't know. Somebody tell us. This is an easy uh, correction to make. Somebody apparently found it on a billing thing that it was I, and that's what we went with. Oh. Like, so, well, so, yeah. So, yay. please forgive us for screwing all that up. So, I'm sure there'll be more next time. Anyway. So, you know, we're going to address the, the latest NAMSA thing because... Because we talked about it in the last podcast. We feel we should give it a wrap. We're not going to talk a whole lot about this. But basically what ended up finally happening was um, Sarah Screenshot Parr, wars. Screenshot, screenshot wars. War. Um, a bunch of screenshots were posted that had material in them that should not have been posted. Um, Sarah Parr did take responsibility for that and then and posted kind of her rebuttal. On I think just region seven and eight. I don't really think I'm just on the Facebook pages. Like I don't don't remember getting. No, we well, did this, get an email. There was an email. There was an email. There was yeah. an email. You're right. Um, Sarah has since had a personal um, tragedy in her life, so she has t- has you know taken herself off Facebook to kind of deal with that. Um, and really, we've heard nothing else. Um, yep. That's all I'm, I got to say about it. Because honestly, I, I think I'm at the point where I, I just don't care anymore. <laughs> I did. Um, I did talk to Vicky, uh, who is Vicky my Kitzman. rep. Vicky, Vicky Kitzman. Okay. Um, and while things are kind of at a low ebb, I do know that uh, they apparently hired a website designer. I don't know. Oh, that's how good. They, yeah, they need one. I don't. Yeah. I asked her some specifics, and she wasn't uh, prepared to talk about the technical ins and outs. But hopefully, uh, this guy's. Uh, it's a. It's a. A guy. I can't remember his name. Um, is savvy enough to bring it up to the standard that they need to. So that's Sounds encouraging. Good. Yep. All right. Well, fingers crossed on that. All right. I, I think, you know, as far as NAMSA goes, we're just going to take a wait, see mm-hmm. uh, posture. Things are a little chaotic right now. And I'm not sure us commenting every show on it is helping. Yeah. So we're, we're going to let NAMSA get it together and, and see if uh, they can change our minds about a couple of things and uh, keep the pennant peanut gallery to a dull roar yeah. so there's, there's other uh, stuff to talk about anyway <laughs> right and you know to be honest uh uh we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and let them try and clean up their house uh, yeah otherwise uh I, I i get tired of being negative about it yes the, the show's not about negativity and i'm not the namsa police so you know yeah. neither are you no we've we've given them our panda flesh so we'll just let them let them figure it out yeah. Or not. Whatever. Yep. Anyway. Um, we also did our first giveaway. Yes. Yay. Yay. We got, so we get go ahead. Okay. We got we gave away a swag pack that um we had intended to give away at Briarfest but didn't. Um but it basically it was a a um copy of Night Deck and Night Vision donated to us by the horse you want. It was a t shirt, a tote bag, a hat, some buttons, some stickers. Um, yeah. and we had a random draw from everybody who commented on our With thread Grima. and uh, the lovely Grema 
Stephanie Blaylock's cat. Who is adorable. And all random draws should be done by kittens because it's hilarious. We had 175 entries, yeah. so it's pretty impressive it's pretty... between uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram. Yeah. And our winner was uh, Verna McCausland. Yeah. And her, in Canada. In Canada. And her so, stuff is yeah, on its way. Uh, so congratulations, Verna. Thanks for everybody that participated. Thank you to Bud Blaylock for being Grandma's agent. And looking and out you- for her best interests, really. Right. <laughs> and thank you to Grima for uh, for participating. Uh, if you want to see the video, it's posted on the Mayor's and Black page where Grima attacks a bunch of little paper tabs that are spread out by fans. <laughs> it's really adorable and i really think she's getting to the point where they, if they bring that fan out and she's like oh yeah it's time actually actually steph was saying she was getting bored with it but she was like there's so many in this entry that <laughs> she, grandma was just like ah! she lost her little kitten mind all right <laughs> all right so uh we wanted to also mention and we're not going to cover this in depth right now because it's a show we want to yeah. do later but I would like to remind everybody uh, that have large collections or valuable collections that it, you know, it it would behoove you to insure your collection, uh, both uh, literally find someone to insure your collection. There are many good collector um, uh, resources out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of people uh, do have their their stuff insured, uh, so that if something happens you haven't uh, lost all the value that you put into your collection. Yeah. Um, Additionally, if you're going to store your collection or uh, you want uh, someone to have your collection, um, make a will, will your stuff, or at least if you have a good understanding with your mate, talk to them about what you want to happen to your collection. And, you know, if you're going to store your collection in a storage space, keep, keep up on your bills. Like losing, uh, thousands of dollars worth of horses for not paying a hundred dollar bill is a tragedy, mm-hmm. right? And people buy things out of those for pennies on the dollar. And I, I know in particular, uh, a collection, a nice collection, was gotten uh, by way of a, a storage facility that went up for auction, not directly, um, right. indirectly. But yeah, so you know, take care of yourself, take care of your collection because you know when the chips are down, that collection can. You know, it can very well mean the difference between, you know, bankruptcy or homelessness. Yeah. I know that sounds dramatic, but, but I know I could live for two years off my collection. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. I mean, I when and, you know, when I've had times when I was a little tight, I went. That's where I went and got money from was I sold yeah. stuff. Yeah. A lot of people sell yeah. horses when they're a cat. I know I, I've been selling some of my collection because of my vet bills uh, from both of the cats that got sick and had to have surgery. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Jackie and I have a mutual agreement that we've talked to our mm-hmm. mates about, about how we disseminate each other's collection and kind of keep some key pieces for ourselves and make sure that uh, other ones that are bequeathed to other people get to where they're going and sell the rest of the collection to benefit their mates. Yeah. So, so I had those so discussions. Yeah. I know that nobody wants right. to think about this stuff, but if you don't think about it, your horses end up at a garage sale or, or in a trash state sale or whatever. Yeah. yeah. For five bucks a piece, yeah. you know, and nobody wants that. So, so anyway, moving on to happier news, um, we were interviewed for a Swedish model horse news. We got a two-page interview um, that I can't read because it's in Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, Camilla at uh, Swedish Model Horse News asked us to uh, do an interview, send us a list of questions. Um, I'm sure she uh, translated and edited them, and we were uh, we were in this month's uh, issue. She sent us a copy of it, and it looks great, even though neither one of us understand what it says. <laughs> we're pretty sure, so, you know. Hey, so thank you, Camilla. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Uh, we hope that this inspires some European uh, hobbyists to maybe do a podcast. That would be super great. That would be. And uh, as a footnote, uh, we, we even though we had the contest with six different things and only one thing won, uh, and the judging was what this episode is, we plan to cover all those those yeah, um, eventually those episodes to include international. So we'll we'll be knocking on your door again. Yeah. Good times. Good times. Woohoo. All right, what's and next? then finally, um, Arabian Horse Times, giving yes. a, giving a shout out to the hobby, um, by two uh, two of the killer bees. Yeah, uh, Kylie is Kylie Parks and uh, Heather Kylie Bullock. Barks. Kylie Barks, excuse me, and Heather Bullock, um, with their collaboration and and Edelweiss. Um, yes, in the mom. pretty gray, pretty gray, gray uh, Arab mare. Yeah. So congratulations to you guys. That was a a, a great shout out from them. Uh, uh, we also noticed that Stateline Tack today uh, did a did a meme with Zach Efron about where all their money goes to model horses. It's, right, it's hilarious. So I feel like I feel like we're getting more and more mainstream recognition for model horses and horse girls. So yeah, you know, let's keep it going. We're not the super weirdos anymore. Well, you know, I said super weirdos. <laughs> Josh sits around and watches watches YouTube videos of people doing anime cosplay at you know at at uh cons so i feel like we're relatively oh i read an article about cabbage patch dolls earlier this month i saw that and we're we're completely normal that's all i'm gonna well no we're not but we're not any weirder than you know (laughs) oh we're we're, like we're a lot less did you stumble into spirit fanfic like (laughs) that was it i was looking up something all right i was researching a game i'm playing and in the course of researching this, I accidentally stumbled upon fan fiction based on characters about the game. And thanks to Google, they scarred me for life by <laughs> posting like two to three lines of badly written romantic fiction of these characters. And I'm like, I'm like, why, why are we doing this? And then just to see if, if they really did write fanfic about everything, I Googled Mo- Briar Model Horse fanfic and came up with spirit stuff. And that's as far as I got, because that was a rabbit hole. I I didn't feel the need to go down. Now, just quickly before I get beat up, I think fan fiction is wonderful. I think it's a useful tool as a yeah, fan. I used to read a ton of as Buffy a reader, fanfic. I yeah. read a ton of X-Files fan fiction in the 90s. However, for every good one you find, there's a lot of oh, not yeah. very good out there. And that's what I that's what I saw. And I'm sorry. <laughs> well, wasn't wasn't. Isn't that the story that the Twilight Lady was a fanfic writer? Yes. Um, Fifty Shades of Grey was Twilight fan fiction. They changed the names and and she laughed all the way to the bank, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. 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 All right. So anyway. On, 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 on another note. Hole. <laughs> on to new releases. Woohoo. All right, we're back with new releases. Uh, so many always, new releases. So many. So buckle up. Yeah, strap in. Pause. You know, stretch your legs. Get a tree. Yeah, or I mean, you know, this is you know, this is what we want to talk about. New horses, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so uh, like always, we're going to start out with uh, the Briar stuff. Yeah. Uh, so Briar released um, the Gambler's Choice model for the Stablemate Club and the Gambler's Choice model for the Vintage Club within 24 hours of each other. Um, so uh, the the Stablemate Club model is the mule in a in four different colors. I got the uh, glossy kind of Belgian blonde, which is fine. Nice. I love that color. I was going to say that's that really is my colors. color. Um, there's a rainbow Pinto who looks really cool and seems to be the very popular one. Um, there is an Appaloosa who looks a lot like an Appaloosa they did on, uh, the balking mule model for the vintage club to me. And I don't remember what the fourth color is. Oh, it's, it's a like gray a, Pinto. It's a, it's a gray Pinto. Gray Pinto. I have not paid for mine yet because yeah. I suck. Oh, well, that's not why. Um, um, and I'm not in the vintage club this year, so I am not getting grace. So have you gotten your grace I got, yet? I ordered them together, so I got them yesterday so what color did you get? i got the alabaster and nice. i will say she's a very nice alabaster because she very much you know how the older models that alabaster was kind of almost like a warm white yes and not like a stark cold white right she's warm white like she looks like she looks like an old alabaster i some people Good. thought she was going to be chalky she does not look chalky to me but she very much evokes the the vintage alabaster color is she glossy? No. No, she's not. She's really, really pretty. Look, I'll hold her up to the, okay. the webcam. Oh, blue ribbon. Yeah. yeah they all, yeah, the vintage horses all have the sticker on them. Um, she came in a box that looks like uh, one of the carrying cases. I love that mold. I do too. So the other colors are a black point dapple gray and, and, mahogany. and mahogany bay. And they're all matte? They're all matte. They, the proud Arabian mare. Proud Arabian mare. Ooh, that's nice. Brown out. Okay. Well. Maybe we'll be recording this in two parts. Um, the Proud Arab mare did not come in gloss. That is the old mold mare that came in gloss. This is evoking the Proud Arab mare of the 70s, not the original oh, release are, of these. But are they matte or are they semi-gloss? They're matte. Well, maybe they're okay. a little semi-gloss, but they're matte. Because all my Mahogany Bay mares are semi-gloss. Yeah, I guess mine is too. I haven't seen a Mahogany Bay in person. They weren't out on Saturday when I was at the horse show. So we'll say nice, but, uh, but she's very, very right, nice. Well, good for you, Briar. Yeah. All right. Uh, on to, uh, resins, resins. So we do unpainted first. Mm -hmm. So I think the only one we really have to talk about right now is Morgan, uh, Kilborn's Victor. Yep. And, uh, he's, uh, what'd you say? He he's was a, like, like a juvenile. He's a, he's a Russian, you juvenile, like Russian or Vladimir heavy draft horse. So he's kind okay. of in that geeky stage they go through yeah, when they're yeah. like two years old. So it's why he looks, maybe he looks a little bit, you look at him and go, well, he doesn't look like a draft horse. Well, it's because he's a young draft horse. He's not like a mature one. He's all one. legs. Yeah, he's all legs yeah. and neck. So. Uh, yeah, and he's kind of in a prancy uh, pose with tossing his head. He's yeah. very uh, Doing, animated. Yeah, he's cool. And then, and then speaking of Victor, uh, Mindy Berg has painted a Victor. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, I believe, up for offers right now. Is that correct? Um, I believe so. It was on display at Trixie this. Was it? Yes, because they dressed it up in a nice. circus costume. Oh, yeah. Um, And I'm looking at the wrong set of web pages for this. But he's kind of like a like a double dilute Cremello-y sort of guy. Yeah. Um, very light, yeah, very detailed. There's a picture of him on, on uh, the Spruce Mountain page. That's a Mindy Berg's yep. website or Wendy Berg studio page on Facebook. 
And um, yep. they have him picked a, you know, dressed up in a circus costume. He looks quite nice, actually. Yeah, he's um, a cutie. And he is available via offers right now. I'm not Ooh. sure when he ends. Let me just take a quick look. Probably not by the time this is out. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> we never get, oh. we're never fast enough for that. Yeah, well, he just, he went up for offers on the 14th. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. The, the model horse sales pages is having a mental breakdown, so we're not going to look there. They're asking me. For, I would, they're asking yeah. me for a security certificate. I'm like, that's okay. So anyway, that's up for offers. But by the time you hear this, it'll have been sold. So that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Beware. So we had a couple of uh, backbeat founders mm-hmm. uh, show up in our feeds yep. uh, in the last three weeks. Uh, one that I actually uh, bid on was one named Ichabod by Mel Miller, mm. who uh, was just really lovely, kind of uh, leopard with a little bit of varnishing on it. Uh, gorgeous horse. Gorgeous, gorgeous. Um, I know who won it. Uh, <laughs> beat me by $10. So and- congratulations to you. Um <laughs> And good for Mel. Yeah. This is a really pretty horse. And you can see that on Mel Miller's page of uh, Chinook Studios. Mm-hmm. Um, Steph Blaylock's had a lot of, been fairly prolific lately. Like, I feel like she's doing new pieces like every week, um, which is good. Yeah, she's she's got the bug. Yeah. So she did a chestnut. <laughs> she's got the bug of, of dressage showing bills from her daughter. <laughs> That is a bug. <laughs> but she did a backbeat thunder in chestnut. And she also. Which is her signature. Yes. And she also did this fairy horse. It's um, it's Kim Murray's Auron resin, the little Welsh pony. Yeah. And he's got these like wings that evoke a Luna moth. Yeah. And he is a yeah. he's a prize model, I believe, for the uh, British championship show. Um, but she paint, finished this horse and like the horse is a white gray and then the 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 wings are almost iridescent pastel yeah. color it's it, greenish purple yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's very fairy like it's very beautiful i saw this super well done super well done super well done i am not a fantasy horse person at all when i am a fantasy horse person it is i am very very literal i bought my unicorns i don't think unicorns are horses i think unicorns are ruminants that's a whole other podcast but (laughs) (laughs) we can get into that another time but i saw the little fairy horse and i ordered a fairy horse resin um yeah so i'm excited fairy horse is really beautiful i love um uh, kudos to kim for getting kind Mm -hmm. of that biomechanical uh look of of those luna moth wings yeah They're, it's it's a new look i haven't seen anybody else do it but um, I, I think it's like it's plausible like i looked at it and said yes oh, i yeah. completely buy that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no it was great yeah. it was great so kudos to uh stefan kimberry yeah uh shout out to uh heather bullock who had a uh d'artagnan mm. uh in this just i mean just amazing sabino uh uh roan it's been about i think about three weeks or a month um and i was just stunned by the quality and the intricacy of this horse you know if if i had had the 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 scratch at the time i would have been bidding Mm -hmm. um but if you get a chance stop by her webpage and take a go look uh, scroll down and look for that d'artagnan because it's just it's nuts she's equine confection studio yes yes so all right all right how did i end up pronouncing do you want to try it again you want to try it ironermo ironermo ironimo ironimo i feel like i'm trying to say like 
National Novel Writing, Nanopime, you know, whatever that is. Ironermo. Ironermo. Ironimo. Ironimo. Yes. You can do it. Believe in you. Thank you, Sammy. That's right. Sam. Yeah, Sam is happy. Sammy. <laughs> I don't know what's going Ladies on. Ladies and gentlemen, my cat. <laughs> Come here, buddy. But uh, but anyway, this guy is a say hi, Sam. Say. Now he doesn't want to talk. Oh no, he just wanted to be picked oh. up. But uh, anyway, Iron Iron Ironimo is a really <laughs> lovely little trotting fjord. Um, Nikki Button has one painted in a really lovely, charming fjord color. He is up for offers, or he just ended. He probably just he ended. probably just ended, but he was lovely, and you should go look at him. Yeah, really, really great job. Mm-hmm. Um, he's by uh, Brigitte Eberl, by the yes. way. He's really lovely. Oh, and now I'm covered in cat oh, hair. All right, could be worse. Uh, uh, and now the main no next is uh Amanda Brockland. Uh, no Duello. Duello. I'm sorry, Duello. So Maggie Bennett, uh, uh, Maggie Jenner Bennett's uh, Duello. Sculpture was collaboratively arted <laughs> by Minnie Berg of Spruce Mountain Studios and Jennifer Scott of Aspen Lee Studios. Um, uh, that just ended, but it was uh, it was uh, marketed as a Rocky Mountain mm-hmm. horse. Is that correct? Yes, Rocky Mountain horse. So it is so a signature a sil- silver color that the Rocky Mountain horses are known for. Really pretty yeah, piece. Pretty. I always love to see these collaborations. They're so cool. Mm-hmm. Um. And then Amanda, Amanda friggin' Brock, Uh, Amanda friggin' Brock. Um, First of all, we we love her. (laughs) We do. (laughs) Who we now owe a house payment. Yeah, basically. (laughs) We'll get to that. Um, She's she's two house payments if you're me. She's doing really awesome stuff with not the fantasy resins, but straight up regular resins, painting them all kinds of like amazing bright fun colors yeah i i loved watching her you know post those pictures on of the her horses on her page it was neat. so yeah so she she did some color she did a colorful dante mm-hmm. and a colorful goblin both mink sculptures um but she did them in you know non-conforming colors fantasy colors yeah. and it just like, really super vibrant and cool just uh, cool really yeah they're just super cool so so check those out uh and moving on to uh the house payment horse so you know Uh, we've been talking about this horse only for four months now um (laughs) basically every episode of the podcast we talk about this horse um evangeline we probably raised enough interest on this horse to raise our own price yeah we probably it was it's totally worth it totally happy to do amanda is solid uh we went in we went in as uh, co-owners instead of competing but as co-owners so she'll never be at a briar show yeah uh, but uh, Jackie was at a show, so I stealthed it out and had some discipline until the last two minutes of the auction, and we won. Yeah, so, so yay! So we were happy to own this piece. It's a beautiful piece. I'm so thrilled. It's Evangeline by uh, Amanda Brock. It's a bay, straight bay Frisian sport horse. Just she's beautiful. Ugh, she is. She's gorgeous. I can't even. I can't even. Um, so we have made our first payment. Hopefully we will keep jobs until we pay her off. <laughs> oh, I don't think I have an issue with that. <laughs> they would be very sad if Dr. Arms were to pack yeah, the bags. Mine would too. Uh, all right. Yeah. Um, so, so halfway through the list. <laughs> Does anybody need to, you know. Yeah, you need to stretch. 
Do you need a snack? And go check the fridge. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Let the cat out. You know, write a book. Something like that. <laughs> uh, back, uh, Oriana. Yeah. Back to Nikki Button. Uh, Nikki B.O. <laughs> Nikki B.O. has uh, has a, uh, I believe it's customized from uh, the uh, the Shaggy Arab. What was her name originally? I don't remember. I don't either. Anyway, I think she customized her as a buckskin Morgan. Yes. And she, and she uh, has a bear. baby foal, too. That's cute. She has a baby foal, and I don't think she's auctioned the baby foal yet. But she did auction Oriana, which killed mm-hmm. me. Because that went right before Evangeline. I, uh, and I was like... <sighs> can't do everything. Yeah. Can't do everything. God, why? Why? Because we're uh, responsible adults. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sort of. Terrible. Sort of. Terrible. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this uh, go to her page and look at this set, this mare and her foal is just, you know, I I think after uh, I think after uh, we do the stampede show and before we do like a Christmas show, we should do the new customizers because it's just obnoxious. Oh yeah, it's it, it is a, a great time forward. to be alive. Is more it obvious. is like we had a drought between Sarah. Mikevich, uh, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, Pam Hutton was a blip there for a while, but she wasn't prolific and no. she didn't last. And there was all. And it's uh, literally been 20 years of no, uh, you know, no customizing between Sarah's era with Lori Joe and all yeah. those people and just the chasm of the, the, the 2000s. Well, there was for a long time people were thinking, "Oh, customizing is dead because we have artist residents. Why would you put all the work into and a I custom?" And I think it was. I think it was. So I think it's you know it's absolutely not about a lack of talent. And uh, obviously, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. There were plenty of nice customs, but not like this. No. Not at this rate. Not by as many different people. Not by them know, collaborating it, with each other and mixing and matching and doing all that kind of exciting yeah. stuff. Well, and just, you know, new, new molds. Yeah. Like I have a ton of, of Pam Hut, uh, customs that are beautiful, but they're not competitive because mm-hmm. you should see the bodies they're right. on. You know what I mean? That's what she had. Uh, that's what she had. Right. You know? Uh, and I feel like, uh, I feel like, uh, it's, it's part of a bigger trend. And if you'll forgive me for nerding mm-hmm. out about the whole design community as a whole has gone back to bespoke stuff. People are using printing presses. People are using hand-washed and made paper. People are uh, doing hand lettering. I think this is part of a bigger movement where, you know, production uh, of things is fine, but it's not as fun and it's not as fulfilling to an artist. Right. Rather than make something that's one of a kind and unique and the one thing in the world, like a painting. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. So I, you know, kudos to these girls for stepping up and and taking that back over because I'm certainly thrilled with it. It was I was considering it a lost art that was just going to disappear kind of gradually. So uh, I encourage anybody that's thinking about it to 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 customize um, and uh, learn the ropes because there's nothing to me. There's nothing much like custom glazed horses or clay bodied horses. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that feels better than owning a horse that no matter what is one of a kind, not just from the paint job, but from the position. Right. It'll never act. It'll you know? never be 100% duplicated. Right. Right. So, 
All right. Yeah. So enough evangelizing about customs. Uh, uh, let's talk. Mini Alborozo <laughs> update. We're on. To, <laughs> we're on to the mini Alborozo explosion part <laughs> of the show. Uh, there were several in the last three to four weeks that we've seen. Karen Zorn had a uh, leopard Appaloosa that was absolutely lovely. I know Laura Scalern, uh just put one up that I believe is a um, Sabino portrait of her horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if she's uh, done taking offers for that, but it's that's out there. Uh, there is a Riley mini uh, leopard Appaloosa. Mm-hmm. Albie and then Stephanie uh, Blaylock just sold a really pretty, really pretty bay. bay. Really pretty yeah. bay. I had to hold my hand. Yeah, back me because too. Of Evangeline, I was like, nope, nope, nope. Like, nope, I can't nope. be buying ponies because you want to be <laughs> buying ponies. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, keep the Albie train coming. We may give Albie his own section if it. I will just have the Al- <laughs> mini Alboroso custom section. Right. Well, I right. see so many people like I see people going and buying them and then they're like, look, I found a bunch. And then the next picture is they've snapped all the little horns off because I know I'm like, yeah. And, and as a matter of fact, I think I saw Tegan had one for sale yes. today that I wasn't able to go down the rabbit hole on that one. Uh, Kirsten Wellman has had a couple for sale. So, I mean, they're just everywhere. Yeah, it's a good you know. thing. Yeah, it is a good thing. A... Pardon me. Do you think we have to pay Martha Stewart for that? No. Because we're snarkier. <laughs> Is that copyrighted? No, it's a good thing. We're not putting okay. lemon slices in anybody's water. We're talking about horses. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So moving on, France Lindaire has a, a custom. I think it's Francine. Francine, Francine Dare. Yep. Um, big custom this time. It's a Bobby Joe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she usually works in mini. It's yeah. And this, this horse is really neat because he's. It's Bobby Joe, but kind of in a more cow horsey cutting kind of pose. Like the front end is really yeah. way down low. Yeah. Um, this is a horse that he's be, in a crouch. Yeah, super fun to put in tack and put a cow with. Yeah, he's really pretty too. Yeah. His paint job is amazing. Uh, she also has uh, has uh, in the last couple of weeks done some fantasy horses, and I encourage everybody to go to her page uh dare i believe it's dare horses on facebook and look at some of these nutty fantasy horses she's done she did a uh what a, what what i like to call tidy ball tidy bowl blue um i, <laughs> I, I know he's caring gerhard about that i love that color though uh, it's pretty yeah it's a great color uh uh, uh, uh another fairy horse mm-hmm. uh she did my favorite is this horse called cataclysm which is kind of this uh, devil horse, uh, which is really cool with a skull head. It's mm. black and red. It's not cool. Like super, super, super imposing, but really cool. And she also did a, a kind of a teal striped horse. Um, like a zebra. That's a, Yeah, kind of like a zebra, but, you know, gold and, and blue. And, just, you know, no colors you're ever going to see on a zebra yeah. unless you're on LSD. Well, you know. Um, or, you know, you eat too much fruit striped gum (laughs) yay uh so yeah so check check those out because she just she really pushes the boundaries with her customizing and i really enjoy it um really nice and finally not finally not finally no it's not finally but before we go we go into finally uh, um the hagen renneker um collector club they had their special run their christmas special run released and it's a crusader and it's a black crusader. And before you go, oh, wow, it's a black China horse. 
Christina Lucas Francis had done a black on a um, a Tennessee flat shod Tennessee walking horse that if you saw this horse in person, there was a lot of depth to that black. Um, yeah. That's the black on these Crusaders. And that's why there's only eight of them. <laughs> because I thought there were 10. Uh, it's oh, maybe it's 10. Um, it's a low, low number. But they're very, very. And neither one of us got one. So. No, well, mom on the waiting list. Bum, bum, they're bum. um, they're they're pretty intense to produce. Um, you know what? It's I'm on the waiting list, but I don't get one. It's fine because I want it to come out in a really scrumptious, dapply gray and be beautiful, and then a bay one, <laughs> and then a bay one, and a Bel a Belgian blonde, a Belgian blonde, course. and then it could be Roan. <laughs> hear that's you hear that? Hear that that's my order, Christina. They don't have to be in that order, but I want all four of those. <laughs> so, yeah, so this horse, um, part of the reason uh, was the intensity of the production uh, that she needs to do of them, do on them. But part of it uh, for the low number was she just didn't think that many people would be interested. <laughs> she was wrong. <laughs> Fail. <laughs> Fail. Uh, <sighs> so, yeah, so he sold out immediately and there we yep. are. <laughs> But uh, there'll be more, just different colors. So, yeah, we're all looking forward to more production colors of Crusader. Um, I'm currently waiting for my uh, love to come. So, Yay. Yay. I did end up getting a love. Uh, I got uh, Liz, I saw. Liz Rose sold me hers at cost and she's here and she's pretty. Yeah, I got mine from Stacy nice. Quick. God bless you, Stacy Quick. So, all right, let's <laughs> let's. So we're transitioning. We're still in new releases, but it's not really traditional releases what i realized uh over the course of this podcast is uh sarah mink uh went into uh uh her cocoon for a while and didn't produce very much for a long time mm -hmm. uh and she's had uh some changes uh in the way she treats um herself and she has had this explosion of creativity and i just really want to talk about this just you know, complete geyser of horses uh, yeah. she's producing is, right it now. It is a geyser. <laughs> it's crazy. So if you look on her Instagram, all of these horses are there, but she has just been going nonstop for a couple months now. Um, she, from newest to some of the older stuff, she has, she right now she's working on a Morgan called Spellbound, mm -hmm. who's traditional, I believe, yes. in, a, in a kind of quirky parked out stance. She just completed a uh, peg a donkey called Suerte, uh, a Dartmoor pony called Whippoorwill, a Highland pony called Fergus. Uh, I believe both of those are standing, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. A Welshy C in her kind of uh, signature tripod called Shadow Lark, a Boulonnais called Fizzgig. Mm -hmm. That should be close to your heart. That should be, yeah. Uh, uh, an Arab uh, who is springing. Or no, there's another sprunging yeah, there's Arab. There's Arabs. Arab Satin Spark. And then there's a sprunging Arab called Serenity. Uh, there's Freddy with a blowing mane called a black, who's a black forest horse. Windspell Diva, who's an American saddlebred mare. And then she's working on a, a series of horses called Totems. And she has one and two of those done. So, uh, you know. So be on the lookout for. I th some of these are being cast right now or having molds made. I want to say yes. the donkey is. I believe so. Yeah. I um, believe so. So I, I don't know how, we don't know how she's going to sell these. We don't know how many there's going to be. 
Um, in the past, she's kind of kept editions open until everybody gets the ones they want. Yep. Um, that yep. may be what's going on here. So, But I super want to encourage you to look at her her Instagram. It carries over to her Twitter uh, because she talks a lot about technique. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think she sculpts in a traditional way. She never has. Uh, but, it, you know, she talks a lot about how she evaluates her work, how she's when she's not satisfied, she starts over. Just like anybody, Sarah makes mistakes and miscalculations mm-hmm. um, and she revisits, you know, and, and there was a great story uh, in the boat of uh, rest when uh, rest still existed, which was the real uh, real estate equine sculpture society that was called It Is Not Precious. And it talks about it's OK to revise your work. You're not going to be perfect. The first version, you know, writers revise their work work. all the time yes absolutely so i mean it's a it's a real learning uh uh, curve that everybody goes through and even sarah who's a master sculptor redoes her stuff again and again and again uh so check it out so go uh uh, minkovich studios if if you type mink you'll find it pretty quick yeah especially if you post model horse stuff (laughs) yeah there's no no getting away from post model horse stuff Um, you'll find her and then finally, yeah. um, the British model, uh, I don't, something champion, equine, equine champion show, championship show, equine. Yeah. Um, prize medallion sculpted by uh, Kim Murray, Capital Equestrian. I wonder if they call it BMX. That's about how I think of it is BMX. BMX. Yep. Uh, yeah. Sculpted by Kim Murray, which is really cool. It is a, a Union Jack, a British flag. Um, and then it takes three of her uh, medallions and uh, kind of staggers them to the side. And then she painted them. And it's just the coolest looking yeah, prize medallion. Neat. Like, I love it. It's great. <laughs> it's very so, unique prize. You know, and I just, you know, we don't cover medallions a lot. We probably should. But we just, you know, we run out of time. But I really think, you know, the BMX uh, prize medallions are super fantastic. So kudos yeah. to Kim for that. The capital equestrian. Congratulations. If you win one, they're cool. Yeah. Congrats. Well, I did it happen. I don't already? think I so. No. Okay. Well, the fairy horse is also a cost as a limited edition for the same oh, show. Nice. Yeah. We should go over there one time. We should. And go to BMX. Oh my gosh. We should. Or go to the, Ger- or go to the German. We one. should just go yeah. on tour in Europe. <laughs> like just in general. <laughs> it's like a listening tour. Just yeah, like, just just you know, just because we do, uh, you know, we coming coming soon. We should go, go on the chocolate and send Jackie and Heather to Europe. We should go on the chocolate and cheese train in Switzerland. <laughs> oh yeah, totally, totally Italy. Oh yeah, France. <laughs> we come from France. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, would be great. The boys will All love right. it. All right. <laughs> okay. And Briar also released another web special, and I cannot pronounce his name. Um, but he is the first in the wildlife series. They did the whole big cats thing over the last couple of years, which some of them were cool and some of them were a little weird. But um, this is the wildlife series. And this was the uh, standing American Saddlebred Clock Horse 2.0 painted like an Okapi, which I thought suited this model. <laughs> so I entered every single day and I got one and he is on my kitchen counter as we speak looking nifty. And I'm doing the RCA. I know. And I know people looked and went, why? Why? And I said, I don't care. I like that. I like Okapis. They're like one of my favorite animals that is a non-domestic animal. 
Oh, copies are friggin' weird. They are weird looking. Anyway, looking. So. Um, and I felt that this paint job suited this particular horse quite well. So I'm curious to see what else they do as far as, you know, other sorts of wild animals that have really distinct coat colors. Are we, I mean, are we going to get a giraffe? If they don't do a taper, they're, I'm never speaking to anybody at Briar. That's yet. a lie. But uh, <laughs> they should do a giraffe on the Proud Arab Stallion. They should do. They should. On the Proud Arab Stallion? He's got a very long neck. There was a custom many, so many years thick. ago. There was a custom many, many years ago of a giraffe from the Proud Arab Stallion. It was funny. Anyway. Um, I feel like the Morari would be a better giraffe. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. It was a joke, actually. But um, but yes, I'll be interested to see what else they kind of come up with. But the Okapi's cool. He's neat. Yep. Yeah. Cool. What is his name? Kidnin? I, I don't Kidnin. know. Something with the K. Lots of syllables. I Oh, the Okapi horse. That's what I call him. <laughs> no one's gonna figure okay mistake that okay so anyway all right we're gonna move on to uh our very serious theme topic discussion <laughs> all right we are now going to talk judging in yes. life which is our theme topic topic this was the clear oh by clear far and way winner of our of our poll uh by twice yeah. the votes at least so there's a lot of curiosity uh, about judging and I get it, mm-hmm. right? We don't have, we don't have a standard. Right. We don't have uh, any real formal education. Right. We don't have, um, we don't even really necessarily agree on what we're, what we desire out of our horses right? that we put in shows. And uh, we have a whole lot of criticism out there when uh, somebody doesn't approve yes. of how they did that day. So yeah. I mean, I think we need to really uh, get down to brass tacks about um, a philosophy that's popped up within a, a group in the hobby that carry it as their standard, uh, at least for Halter, mm-hmm. and talk a little bit about uh, also performance and how we look at that. I think there are a whole lot of people intimidated about uh, judging and or just don't know where to start. And I think um, part of part of the mentoring program that we started is seeking to address that. But I also think um, it's on local shows and leaders in regions and communities to welcome people into shadowing with judges, holding clinics, possibly we did that last weekend and, and getting more people involved in the judging game because, because it's just, uh, it's really tough to get started. And you have to have a really thick skin once you are started. Because because people are going to talk. And people are going... Yes, they they, are. They are going to talk. Some of them not very nicely. Um, I've been crucified. You've been crucified. You know, I've been accused of placing my friends at places I knew nobody at. (laughs) You know, and it can be really hard. And, and, And that kind of... I've definitely seen people be turned off from judging or swear off from judging because... People on the internet decided somebody made a mistake and got angry about it. And it's ridiculous because we don't have rules for our competition and we don't have a standard sitting back and saying, but all these other horse organizations use that and we'll just piggyback off that is all well and good. But despite the fact that it's been marketed as a model horse show in miniature for 40 years or whatever, model horse showing is nothing like real showing real horses. Nothing. Um, our horses, when we talk about a, the, the ABC philosophy, we want our horses, we've always wanted our horses to look as realistic as possible. And that is not a test a real horse has to pass to get to a show ring. 
when we're when exactly. we're judging performance, we are judging a split second. We're judging a photograph. It's a three dimensional photograph, but we're judging a photograph. Yep, it's, it's a, a scene. scene. All performances. Yeah. So all performance is very subjective. You don't know that the beautiful, perfect jumper that we're taking a picture of stumbled and, and crashed through a jump and eliminated himself at the next thing. So we, that's not something we're concerned about. But so what we're doing is very, very unique. And I think we're at a point where we really if if we're going to have competitions and it's going to be competition and not a social event dressed as a competition, because I believe there are a lot of people that, that is why they do model horse shows. And then there are some of us who are actually there to compete and make it not fun for the people who are just there for social time. But if we are going to treat this as a competition, it is time for us to get together and say, this is what we really want to reward. And this is yep. what we're looking for. And this way, people new to this come in, don't come in and go, I have no idea what's happening. Why? I don't understand yep. this. Why? And no one can explain yep. it to me because that's what we have right nope. now. <laughs> well, and I think um, going down the road of, you know, competition versus mm-hmm. social, I think um, social is oh, fine. Yeah. If you want to show up and be social, great. But don't tear somebody apart when you do a, you know, a half-assed job on your your stuff or, you know, you're just throwing things on the table hoping they'll win about how you're not doing it. And, and how everybody I else mean, is spending money and it's all money and da-da-da-da-da. And, you know, I, I... You know, I mean, I don't I don't mean to go down yeah. a negative rabbit hole, but I feel like, you know, it, you lose gracefully. Yeah. This is your hobby. Right. Right? Your has, if you're not um, having fun, why are you here? And we don't have a standard. So, you know, it is what it is. I, you know, I went to a show last week. I did well in one division. I did do well in another. Whether I agreed with them or not is pointless, you know, because there's no standard. They penned what they want to pin. You're paying for an opinion. Mm -hmm. So, and that's where we're at right now. Yes, we have a a standard kind of bubbling up between like-minded people, um, but it is in no way enforceable. And it's in no way um, part or parcel of NAMSA. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not even sure if it's if it's something that the bulk of the hobby even agrees with or if it's just, you know, you and me and a couple of the people with loud mouths. Yeah, they may not agree mm-hmm. with ABC. Um, I, I agree with it because it makes the most sense right, to, me, to me, too. Right. So let's get into it. Let's talk about uh, how we define okay. it for for our listeners. Uh, we talk a little bit about this in the roundtable I have mm-hmm. with Jen Scott and Jen Buxton and Renee Grinlabs. But what it really is, is an acronym, and it's it shifted a little bit. Yeah. It started out as a, anatomy, biomechanics, and confirmation. What it's now come to represent is anatomy, biomechanics, and color, because those are really the unshiftable right. things. These, and these are the right? things... They're not fluid. Right. These are the things, too, that you can have what I call a synthetic error in the horse, in the ABCs, which makes it a non-viable model. You know, if you're showing. So yeah. let's let's right, back so what, up a little bit. All right. So let's okay. back up a little bit. So if we are talking about what this hobby is supposed to be mm-hmm. about, which is the realistic representation of equines, right. both organically on their mm-hmm. own and in working situations Correct. like actual performance showing, then realism is the baseline. Yes. So when we talk about the ABC philosophy, the ABC philosophy has three legs. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, Horses have four, so, so we're already, we're in, already trouble. in trouble. Um, uh, anatomy, which is the static study of the musculature, the bones, the ligamenture, right. the blah, blah, blah. 
the biomechanics, which is the expression of those things in, in place, motion. In motion. So, in in anima yeah. and color, which color uh, expresses itself certain ways and in certain breeds and not in other certain right. breeds. It has to be viable as far as uh, a part of the genome of the horse, as well as express itself as a realistic uh, pattern or Correct. occurrence. So, so this this is where that comes from. If we're if we're gonna start with realism, let's take it down to the studs, mm-hmm. right? Pardon the pun. <laughs> um, and talk about uh, we don't we don't expect you to go read an entire book about um, the actual tear part of of, of a of a uh, muscular sculpture. Like uh, some people advocate for that, and I don't think that's necessarily what you need to do but you need to study real horses you need to be around them quite a bit i do think for those who cannot be around a lot of horses and really watch there are a lot of really good books that are written for horse people absolutely that are written for horse people because it's important for horse people to understand anatomy biomechanics anatomy and biomechanics color they don't have any real pick over um but anatomy and biomechanics is important for real horse people because understanding how the anatomy and the biomechanics affect each other can help you select horses for whatever it is you want to use horses for. Well, and really what we want to talk about is developing your eye. You need to develop your eye for how a horse moves, how a horse looks. And, you know, horses can look incredibly attractive, unattractive or, you know, gorgeous, depending on what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But, but so, so when you, when you start talking about these mechanics, you need to just understand the push and pull of things and where muscles occur and bones occur. Right. And well, how they inter- how they work against each other, yeah. with each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you don't have to know the name of every single bump on a bone. You don't have to know the name of every muscle and where it inserts and where it attaches and all that other, you know, nope, again, pardon the pun, but bone dry stuff that you do have to learn if you're if you're strictly studying anatomy for the sake of anatomy. Um, you do have to know how a horse's neck works because the neck is a little fluid and how the muscles and the ligaments and the bone interact with each other to, to kind of help with that fluidity. You should know how much a horse can actually laterally bend or, um, you know, know, flex its back and things like that. Cause horses are not super flexible as far as their spine goes. And there's reasons for that because they are big animals and they need to support weight. And as a as a as a a consequence of having to support that big body, your spine can't be flexible like a cat, you know. And I've seen, you know, I've definitely seen models that were based on cats because people were looking at their the animals they had at home, and I guess figuring that skeleton skeleton. If you're a quadruped, we were discussing the other day Catalina, mm-hmm. who is uh, who is a uh, Stacy Stacy Tomlinson. Uh, uh, Cobra Mare, mm-hmm. Trotting Cobra Mare. Uh, and one of the really great things about that sculpture is that it has, if you hold it up, looking down on its back, that horse is bending. Mm-hmm. Like it is through the spine and yep. neck bending. And and it's, you know, I, I talk about this all the time uh, as far as authenticity goes, as far as knowing how a horse moves, whether you ride them mm-hmm. or not. You can spend time. The study of equine anatomy is not new. No. Like George Stubbs, George Stubbs was taking apart like hundreds uh, of years, hundreds of yeah. years. 
with the musculature showing, like I actually saw an an exhibition in London with his drawings of just the musculature of cadaver horses um, to, to learn how to draw them correctly. So it, it, it sounds daunting, but it's not. If you just spend time watching horses work and there's really no excuse now that there's the internet, there are hundreds of thousands of videos of horses moving out there. Um, there are subscriptions to sport horse stuff and Western stuff. Um, you can watch YouTube. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I learned, I've learned so much from watching YouTube. Yeah. So, so when we talk about ABCs, we want, uh, we want people to understand the kinetics. We want people to understand the static of musculature and understand if not, if you don't have it memorized, have one of Leslie's books mm-hmm. with you that talks about where color occurs, but train your eye to understand how a pattern works. Like you can look at a pattern and be like, that doesn't look like that's a real life right. pattern. That's not how Tobiano or Overo expresses itself. Yeah. You know, and yes, there are weird things. There are always exceptions to the rule and you're never going to be perfect. That's another thing you have to get right with yourself. Uh, we've both been judging for over 20 years and we still screw oh, yeah. stuff up. It, it happens because you can't know mm-hmm. everything. So just go for it. Just educate yourself. The biggest thing I would tell people is when you are placing a class, when you're looking at a class, have your reasoning in your head. Because if someone asks, you need to be able to access yeah, You need that. to be able to like, say for sure, you know, this model placed over this one because this one has legs that are all four, that are all right. the same length. Not, well, I like that one better today than this one. That's kind of a, right. a squishy answer that... I've, I've definitely used in a I've heard a lot of people say, I just think this one is prettier. Yeah. And, you know, that's not an answer. Right. I'm well, sorry. Why is it prettier? I mean, maybe in, well, maybe in workmanship. Yeah. But well, why know. is it prettier? Is it prettier um, because it's more pleasing to your eye because it's a more balanced piece because everything is where it's supposed to be? I mean, yeah. that can make it pretty. And, and you have to look beyond the finished work. That's another thing we talked mm-hmm. to Renee about this weekend. Look beyond the finished work because in breed, and that's what we're talking about is breed, the the sculpture is everything. Right. That's the cake. Almost everything. That's the cake. You the, don't have a good cake. The icing. Doesn't matter what the icing's like. The, the icing matter comes into play when you've got identical cake. Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they just have different kinds of buttercream. What do you like? Uh, yeah. So, you know, and, and one of the hallmarks of knowing what you're doing, feeling good about your choices, is you know that you're going to place a class that you necessarily are not placing your favorite horse. Like, you... You, because I, you know, I, everyone knows, everyone knows I love Orson. Like, and he's just not the most competitive little guy anymore. So you're going to see me go to a class and see an Orson. And he, nine times out of 10, he's not going to make yeah. it, you know, top four or five because he just, he can't do it anymore, yeah. you know. But I still love him. He's still on the table. I would snatch him first, but he's, he's, as far as an ABC horse, he's not depending on what's on the table because that's always right. if it's a class a full of orsons orson will win <laughs> but you know right I, I've, I've got horses like that too i love them you know i've had them for 20 years and i love them to pieces and i'll still bring them out to show because i bring them to show because it's fun to have an old piece out there on the table not necessarily because i think they're gonna win you know yeah yeah, and I, I mean, I think, and and you move on. Orson is one of these horses that's called a three three leg down horse, and you still see it with plastic horses because it's easier to not have mm-hmm. a base. But they're in the wrong part of their gait. 
uh, a mm-hmm. little bit. Uh, or said not so much, but some of them are, so that they can get, uh, they can stand the horse up without having yeah. a base. Um, and, and, and you get a little wonkiness in uh, the gate that doesn't really occur in real life. So that's another thing you have yeah. to look for. That's part of biomechanics, right. though. So. What else do we need to say about this before we go into our interviews? I mean, I, I think it's important for people, because I think people, when they want to talk about judging, I think I get the impression sometimes that people are hoping you're going to give them, you know, some magical holy list. And this is what places above everything. And the problem with nope. the list is the second something new comes out, the list needs to be redone. And if you're relying on a list, you're not using knowledge. You're just using a check mark, a check. Judging. And that's not judging. Judging judging is critical thinking. Judging at its, at its core is critical thinking, taking the knowledge that you know and applying it to something. I've had people Um, um, confront me sometimes about, Oh, for some reason, I'm only in particular thinking of artist resin Arabs, but you know, I'll say something. I've made statements in the past about how I like, you know, resin X and then sometimes resin X will win over resin Y and sometimes they'll flip. But I think when you've got, you can do that if you can sit back and, and, and explain your reasoning as to why. Absolutely. You know, you can have two sculptures that are really, really good. And I don't think necessarily on, on different days, they're always right. going to place in the same place against each other in their same relative positions. Well, and this is, this is a discussion we had this mm-hmm. weekend about how, you know, if you've got a top three that's interchangeable, that's when finish work right. comes in. That's when a, a skilled painter that can de-emphasize or emphasize. Good and bad points. The positive, the positive or negative. I mean, it's all so fluid, you know, and, and sometimes that's absolutely right. Depending on light, mm-hmm. depending on venue, depending on presentation. Your top two, three can totally yeah. flip. What, but what, what we want to see, and especially in a national level, uh, speaking of NAMSA, uh, people bitch about the three judge thing. We want to see cluster judging. Right. We want to see all of that, the top five, be all within two or three of each other from all Correct. three judges. And that's not happening because there's no... There's no consensus. Uh, there's no there's standard. No, yeah. There's no... People you are know, looking at different things. You may have things. an ABC judge, a B and C judge, a judge that's just like whatever. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I have my own set of rules. Yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, so if, you, if you've got, you know, 30 horses in the class and each three judges has 10 different horses on their card, that's the problem. Yeah, what are you rewarding? You're rewarding. You're, yeah. uh, you're rewarding the muddy yeah. middle, and and you know I can talk till I'm blue in the face about that, but that's a you know that's it's a whole nother mm-hmm. show really, and and this is about execution and philosophy mm-hmm. and process. So we won't. Yeah, go, so we won't go we too far. I mean, believe me, we'll be. Re- I'm sure we will <laughs> revisit this topic many times in the life of this podcast. Yes. Yeah, because, I mean, we want to make people aware, like even talking to Stormy Strike, I remember her saying, you know, I don't I don't know sometimes what people are looking for, you know, Uh, so the youngins get it. They get that, you know, that you can do all the research you want in the world uh, about your breed and about, you know, whether you think this horse is correct or not. But if the judge isn't on the same page that you are too bad, (laughs) that's that's how it is. That's racing. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I guess from here we should go into um, your roundtable with uh, the Jens, yeah. Buxton, and Scott, and uh, Renee. Yeah. And so we decided uh, this weekend, uh, 
Uh, Renee is new to the Region 3 tribe, um, but she's been and it's really Renee enthusiastic. Rin Lobs, which we've said a few times during the show. I don't remember. Show. Anyway, we're well, going to get an email about it. Pay attention, Missy. <laughs> anyway, she is an Australian native that is now trapped in America. <laughs> Sorry. And we're super happy. And she's, uh, she's having um, the Clash of Colors shows that we've talked about before. Uh, she's very interested in uh, upping her judging game and her painting game. Uh, so we decided to, I've been helping her with her show a little bit. And uh, we decided to have a clinic for her because she was, you know, she's judging for me. She's judging in her own show. Uh, we really wanted to kind of imbue her with uh, the ABC philosophy and some other thoughts. Uh, Buxton is a big performance shower. So, uh, and we're all ABC aficionados. So we decided to have her over. We had tacos and sangria and we just pulled, like literally pulled all my horses out, uh, based on breed and did little mini classes. That sounds fun. Uh, and then we did the, and then we did the round table after, and we talked about, uh, we talked about performance and ABC and workmanship, uh, custom glazing, uh, and, uh, just, it's a wide-ranging discussion, but it's it's really great. So hope you guys enjoy it. Hi, everybody. This is Heather. Um, I am at home, and we just got done doing a uh, a little mini judging clinic for Renee. How do you say your last name, Renee? Grinlobs. Grinlobs. She is a new hobbyist to the area, and she's really interested in judging and show holding. So we decided to get together with uh, the Jens, Jennifer Buxton, and uh, Jennifer Scott to uh, have a little mini clinic. So. Obviously, I'm Heather. I'm a shower. I'm not an artist. I just buy, you know, that's, and I'm a, I'm a pretty decent judge. So that's my background. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Jen? Okay. I'm Jennifer Buxton and I make tack and I show performance. I also write the Bramer Custom Saddlery blog and I'm the founder of Namo Pemo and co-host of The Jennifer Show. I'm Jennifer Scott. I sculpt, I paint, I mold, I cast in China now. <laughs> uh, I do a little bit of everything. And I am also co-host to The Jennifer Show. <laughs> I'm Renee Greenlobs. Uh, I'm an, an amateur artist. I go by Creations by Night on Instagram. I'm also a new show holder, so I'm holding my first show in December of this year. And so it was really nice of these guys to get together and hold a judging clinic for me so that I can learn some more about the hobby and about what we do. Okay, great. So um, the first thing I wanted to talk about is um, we, we got together, we had food, we had drinks. And then before we got out any horses, we walked through what makes uh, judging philosophy. How, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you look at a table full of horses and go, this is how I'm going to place this class. And uh, I know that um, the Jens and I all kind of prescribe to the ABC philosophy which we talked about a little bit earlier in the show, uh, which is a show that um, puts the criteria for breed, at least, squarely on the makeup of the horse, both um, anatomically and biomechanically, as well as color. Um, the correctness and the availability of the color in the gene pool and whether it occurs or not in the pattern that it's represented in. Um, you guys want to go down the road of ABC judging a little bit more? So we did resin ponies today. We had a, we had a tadpole on the table. We had um, what else did we put on the table? I got to look over. Oh, we had a uh, we had Elsie. We had an Elsie. The, the Eberl piece. Oh yeah, the the halflinger. Uh, What's her name? Kofi. No, Kofi's no, no, no. the. I know, but no, I'm saying. Oh yeah, we, we had, had one. I think that's Jesse. 
Jesse, yes. Yeah. If it's not, we're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> too many, there, are, there are too many herbals to keep them. Uh, Eberles. Eberle, yes. Eberle. <laughs> Brigitte Eberle. Um, we have been informed. <laughs> we have been, no, we have been informed. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, I come from, from the ABC school. Um, it gives me um, the tools and the groundwork to look at a table, uh, you know, and understand the first thing, um, the very biggest rule of the ABC philosophy is, is the horse viable? If that horse could turn real, would it collapse under a miasma of problems with its, with its structure? Uh, the second is biomechanics, which work hand in hand with the anatomy of can the horse move? That kind of thing. So, you know, we, we put all these horses down on the table and we, uh, we talked through to Renee our placings and why we placed them that way. So you're a sculptor, like, tell me, tell me from a, from a judge standpoint, from a sculptor, when you look at a class, what's going, going through your head? Um, so first off is the anatomy of the piece. As we said, the ABCs, you know, you got to have something that actually works and functions as a horse. If this was a, a real life being. Um, so using everything that I've learned from a sculpting standpoint, I look to see placements of things. I look to see that muscles are where they should be, that bones are where they should be. Um, see if anything is where they sh it shouldn't be um, <laughs> and then detract for that if that's the case. And it's kind of a, a point system as we were talking about, you know, the, when we were doing the, the judging mock-ups that you can either go and, and subjugate these horses with, by each other, like throughout the class and say, okay, that one's better than that one. And then place it that way. Or you can do it by the point system where you have, you know, one through 10 and how viable is this horse? How perfect is this horse? And then you could give it a 10 and then take all of your 10s and just kind of then uh, whittle it down from there. <laughs> I mean, I think one of the, one of the things I, I, I do when I look at the table and, and I found this is a pretty common um, a thing is I, you know, at, after being judging for a while on my way to the table, um, knowing what's out there, I can already see what has a shot. So, so yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, your contenders, when you walk up on the table, um, you get there and it's 10 entries and I, I don't do it by the point system. I kind of, um, I kind of go up and I, I judge against, I try and judge horses against themselves, not, not um, what else is on the table. Like how close is to this, to the vision of not so much a breed standard, but just the authenticity of the horse. Does it look like it's going to, you know, does it live? Does it breathe? Does it, does it have, does it exude um, a certain sort of anima? Um, is the color correct? You know, is it going to fall on its face because it's over at the knee so bad? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Anybody can talk. Like, <laughs> it's like she keeps looking at me. <laughs> Come on, Buxton. Okay, well, when I walk up to a table for halter, which I don't actually judge that often, I really tend to put the horses into groups just really quickly where I think that's a top horse. It's like an A. And these are my B group and my C group. But I still do look at them because we were talking with artist resins that I have quite a few that are customized. And sometimes people, if they just dismiss it, they say, oh, that's a such and such resin. It has these problems. I don't like it. 
sometimes they're customized and it might be fixed. So I still mm-hmm. do go up and look because I know there's sneaky ones in there that are better than I initially look. Sure, sure. But a lot of times when I just kind of put them in groups like that, I have an idea of where I'm going. But closer inspection can change things. Some of them I'll see that it's not prepped at all. Right. Or what looked good from across the room looks really sloppy up close. So it can change. But I definitely think there's something to having a big picture look before you go in for the small mm-hmm. picture and then balancing both of those. Yeah, kind of part of my thing to do first is to walk the table. Like, not get down and do the eye-level look. The details. Like, right. why are we using bar tables, by the way? Like, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> my back is really bad off from 20, 20 years of judging. But um, is to just walk the table and, and, you know, have in my head what the class is look what's out there, look how much there is. Is there a split on the table? Like this is all mechanics of judging as opposed to philosophy. But then I go in and, and start, you know, doing the one by one. And I always give the horses a courtesy look because I think that's what people pay for. But the the stuff that's, that's going to make up my top six or whatever it is. So the ones that get the longer looks and they get second looks and they get glances back and forth and stuff (laughs) like that. Like, man, this one, that one, I don't know. So, yeah, so, but I, I do like your, your group out thing. I find that I, I know who my, my top two or three usually are. Um, and then it's all, you know, it's the, the muddy, the messy the middle. Part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, the hardest thing in judging is the third and fourth position, really you know, depending is. on the yeah. size of the class. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, you know, so um, what did you learn, Renee? I think I was just thinking about this and a couple of key things really stood out. So um, one of them was factoring in authenticity. So if you have horses that are equal as far as their uh, biomechanics and their anatomy and their color is correct, then you can start looking at things like authenticity. And Heather mentioned this a little bit, but I found that really interesting. So how does the horse speak to you and how real does it feel? Uh, The other thing that I found really interesting was in breed classes to not consider workmanship and try to really forget about workmanship. And of course, it's going to come into play in some instances, but to really be considering the breed and maybe placing the same sculpture, first, second, and third, if it has a nice paint job on all three of them, you don't have to feel like you need to jump around between different sculpts, to be fair. Um, I found that really interesting because my natural tendency was to jump around and be more fair around sculpts. And so I, I really learned a lot from being allowed to do that. Yeah, and I think Jen had a really great point with um, with the Estella was a great example of a horse telling a story that the Estella really had it all together from from the the clothes being on it. It's already a fabulous sculpture. The paint job was really good, but it also you know had the shaved tail and the shoes on the front and the and the you know roached mane uh, to the point where it gave her the edge in the class over another horse that wasn't quite telling as much as a consistent story in its sculpt turnout. Right. Right. So you're still talking turnout, but it's because it's sculpted on there. It matters. Right. So, so that was a great point. Yeah. And, and, for the record, it's complicated when you're calling both of us Jen. <laughs> okay, so I'll call you Buxton, Buxton and Scott. That was Buxton. That's okay. I'm bad about last names like Jackie has. You've heard. Jackie has corrected me constantly. There are too many Sarahs and Jennifers in this hobby. And Heathers. And Heathers. <laughs> not, um, as, not as many Renees. No. Especially not spelled the way you spell the E-A. Your Yeah. Thankfully unique. <laughs> Wait, it's A-E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I thought it was, I was like, it, so is it like Matt Groening? Is it Renee? Yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> like, because everybody calls, like, the Simpsons creator, you know, oh, if you don't right. know, call him Groening, yeah. and it's actually Groening or Heather Rail. Yeah. It's not Roll, it's Rail. Yeah. And that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so, um, so we I think we, I think we went down the ABC um, rabbit hole a lot. And we this is addressed earlier in the show as well from me and Jackie, but workmanship was really fascinating. I really enjoyed it because it's, I think workmanship of, of all of Halter is the one that's the most fluid with how you can judge it um, because you're not taking the sculpture uh, into account for the most part. Right. So, so in having, you know, an artist, an aspiring artist, uh, you know, uh, who knows I host Namo Pamo I know a lot about painting <laughs> but yeah all the different viewpoints were interesting um, I know from, from my side as a painter I actually like to break down the medium of the paint job and determine difficulty level because I've, I've dabbled in everything sure while I'm because she doesn't known. sleep. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yes, I do. <laughs> Jen Scott is a vampire. <laughs> uh, while I, I like oils the best, I, I think you, as a rounded artist, you need to know how everything works. Sure. Just, just because something can do something else better. And why limit yourself to one medium? So knowing what I know about the mediums, I like to look and, and say, okay, for example, a pastel medium. Am I looking at a very softly done grain free job and if i am i know the difficulty of that for pastel so i'll bump that up in the point system i might give that a nine or ten if it's perfect if it's highly grainy i'll bump it down you know from the level average into let's say a five uh same with airbrushing uh the splattering effect happens mm -hmm. a lot with airbrushing mm -hmm. And also the too soft effect. And then we were talking mm -hmm. about the shading being in the wrong place as you kind of oversprayed yep. wrong. Too transparent, too. I'm yes. Yes. Yeah. A lot of times you see the, uh, there's not enough color depth. Um, what I see with the airbrushing, besides the transparency, is they've just used one color and they've kind of gone over it really heavily in some areas and then not enough in other areas in order to get their shading. And I really feel that that's the beginning side of airbrushing that the really good art airbrush artists have a lot of color, a lot of layers and they just, it's a beautiful job. Um, so you can see if I'm judging airbrushing, I might look for all those different <coughs> colors and layers of depth in correct shading. Uh, and that's, and correct shading, not even yeah. correct yeah. shading. <laughs> um, for oils, I would look to see if it has brush strokes in it. I would look to also make sure it's not blotchy in the shading because depending on the technique, if you shade wet in your oils, so you've got um, a color that you are blending with another color and both of these are wet and you're putting them on at the same time, it's wet blending. You would have a tendency to have more brush strokes. And so in people like to put oil on really thick which also means it's really in, in brush wet strokes. blending brush strokes is more prevalent yes wow because you're dealing <laughs> I with have more that. paint <clears throat> it also muddy colors. Anyway. it yeah. also does yeah. muddy colors so there's you want the the depth of the color the trueness of the color and you want it smoothly done so you know the dry brushing lends itself more towards the smoothness and the purity of color but what it also does is it's harder to blend because it has a little bit of friction 
and so you can get up watching it. So explain it. real quick, because dry brushing to me sounds pointless. If it's dry, it's not going anywhere. So explain a little bit of the technique. So, it's not that dry. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, if you're so, saying wet to dry, I mean, those are absolute. So, no, it's right? a great question. So what's dry is not the paint, but the horse. So your canvas is dry versus, like I was telling you about the wet on wet where you have right. wet paint meeting so wet your paint. wet paint you wet paint versus dry paint, paint versus wet paint versus you know, wet paint going on a dry horse is what we call dry brushing okay and because it's dry and not fluid like something wet would be you don't quite have that blending smoothness you again the friction right. comes right. to hand so you can get blotchy so i like to rather than judging the mediums against themselves which can be judging apples to oranges I like to use that point system in those cases and really separate the mediums out and say, okay, this is an amazing job of a pastel job, give it full points. And where this oil job, I know those faults and it's like, oh, that might not be so great. So I'll knock that down. That might be my my source. Yep. So, so that's really interesting to me because I'm not an artist and I don't know all the nuances. So your, your educated eye and your, your philosophy is, is really cool. Whereas mine is, I go up to a horse with the same expectations of not seeing green or blotch, but not knowing like that's the pitfall. I just see that stuff and go, you know, and I really enjoy, you know, depth of shading. Um, the whites have to be done through and through. Right. Um, it, it, there smaller, are things that transcend. Me right, right, right. <laughs> well, and, and other things that bug me, like I get, um, I have little, I get, like we were having a lot of hoof issues today when we were talking about colors right. of hooves and techniques of hooves. I get ooky about eyes and nose pink, right? Exactly. I don't, you know, eyes, it's the eyes have it. If your horse looks possessed or cross-eyed or, you know. Sick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, forget Disease. it. Or you have orange nose pink, those, you know, those oh, can be determining yeah, factors. Yes, right? Pink nose. Yeah, it's not oh, neon. Yeah. It's got diaper rash on its nose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it's just one of those those things that have you, you're like, have you looked at a real horse? Their noses are not that color. Yeah, that's pictures are easily found. For me, you know, is I want it to look like a real horse. My well, favorite that's the horses point. are the ones where I don't actually see the media. I think you are succeeding if I don't look at it immediately and oh, well, that's an airbrushed horse or that's a pastel yes, horse. Yes, exactly. Yeah. When when you get past the medium being obvious. That's, that's where the artist is. Well and that's yeah. kind of the thing I was saying earlier is uh, uh, what's a genius paint job to me is when it doesn't immediately smack me in the face that, oh, this was done this way. Because it's you can tell. Right? It just looks like a horse. Yeah. yeah. Like, who, who, were we saying Nikki Button was passed out? Yes. Or Amanda. Yeah. I had no idea. No, they, both, her stuff looks like oil, oil to me. No, it, it's, I know from Namo Pamo, it's hand-painted acrylics with pastels or pigments. Mm -hmm over the top. Bananas. That's pastels. bananas. I know. It's so good. And what fools you is because she has no grain. So she's transcended the pastel mm -hmm. medium's grain factor. And she has a brightness and purity of mm -hmm. color, her which colors. is very similar to oil. So it, you just, you're Yes, confused. absolutely. And her, and her, her, her yeah, her shading is just. Mm -hmm. And she's always spot Nikki, on. Nikki, we love you. We love you. <laughs> Nikki, we I see so many horses that it's, it's close. It's brown, but it's not like the horse shade brown. Hers are always spot there's, on. So yeah. there's this there's weird, yeah. there's, and, and, and I, you know, there's this weird muddy brown color that I, I call oh, beginner, I uh, beginner brown. <laughs> <laughs> I am and familiar. It, I think we're all familiar. <laughs> it has this weird muddy green undertone and like, 
some people still paint horses that color and i'm just like so, but, but it I, takes time to it develop does. your eyes. It does. Well, and that's what we I never got past it. it. I got frustrated. Like we it. talked about that today in the workmanship is that if we're all debating what color the horse actually is supposed to be, it's even problematic. though its technique is great, it's failed on a kind of important Absolutely. Level, right? Unless you do breed documentation. I want to make a plug here for the color of breed documentation. Yeah. yeah. That was something yeah. I learned too. Yeah. And this, and this is one of the things we bit. Yeah. These are one of the things we haven't hit on yet. Like, if you're going to go down unusual road, you know, I don't need to see documentation for a Palomino quarter horse. But if you're going to put a, you know, and there and one of these exists, Sarah Mink painted it, a showman, uh, Zorse, Gorilla, reverse dapple with Sabino. I think Liz Boris owned it. And... That horse is out there, and man, you better show me a card on that thing. <laughs> right. Also, too, Jen and I talked about this another day, but at her house about silver horses often being sure. colored yes. so incorrectly. It doesn't interact <laughs> with every base right. color the way hobbyists think it does. No. It doesn't just right. give them a white mane and tail. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it's it's this. You know, most it's silvers. Odd. Yeah, it's a. Flaxen meets dirt stained meets yep. tawny kind of. What she really means is pea stained. <laughs> I, I was trying to be friendly. <laughs> Keep it and, the other, and the other thing I see a lot of people painting, uh, and it comes from miniature horses uh, in some Arabs, is they paint horses on their clip color. Right. Right. Yes. Clip colors are tough, man. Vallegro is almost full up lavender when he's clipped. He is. Um, and so yes, it occurs, but. Not on the it, It's it's. I mean, context is everything, really. Like, if you're gonna go down that route, just make sure you 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 document, and and the horse lends itself to that to that look. If if you're painting a funky color, really, really, really watch your reference pictures to make sure you get it yes. right, and then make sure the reference pictures stay with the horse. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, um. The, one of the one of the really fascinating things we talked about today is we did. We did um, we did a couple of rounds of artist resin, um, and then we did um, we did uh, custom glaze, and we pulled some of my ponies out of the cabinet, and it was a, a custom glaze is really um, tough. Um, I had a lot, nice collection, so all the classes were kind of tough. I don't mean to brag, but it wasn't you know it wasn't it was impossible. But custom glaze even more so. It's kind of universal that the classes are more competitive than not because of the investment and the knowledge base that an artist has to have to get into that medium. So it was really, it's really interesting to listen to um, Jen Scott talk about uh, overglaze versus underglaze. Um, what I took away from it was uh, stuff I didn't know before, like what's easier for each medium and what's harder. And um, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so there's two different types of mediums. There's the underglazes, which go, they're applied directly onto the bisque itself. And so bisque is the fired clay. Um, it fired at cone four or cone zero four. And there is a difference. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. A very big difference. Uh, and so those are applied directly onto the bisque underneath the clear glaze. Uh, there's, let's see, Joni Berkowitz um, does the underglazing. Addie, Addie Leslie. Leslie, Sarah. Um, 
Sarah Mead. At, <laughs> for the, for Addie, the people who don't know. I Addie Hude, but... who is, um, uh, she's out of the hobby now. She's uh, focusing on her um, Catholic art. Uh, Leslie Kathman, uh, Sarah Minkavich, Breinig, um, and Joan Berkowitz. And they do lovely work. So underglazing is applied with an airbrush. And I'm familiar enough to know the basics of it, but I haven't actually dabbled with it myself. So this is secondhand knowledge coming from speaking with these people about what they do. Challenge with the underglazing is that it's not exactly the color it appears <laughs> to be until you fire it. And you don't know what you're going to get. It's, it's kind of a luck of the draw. And um, I know they have formulas and notes and it's, it's amazing the science of that. So I have huge amounts of respect for those people. The underglazing, because it's on the bisque, followed then by your clear glaze, it makes the detail stand out a little bit crisper because you haven't clear glazed first, which then softens those details before you apply the color. And because your clear glaze was your final, you get this beautiful mirror gloss finish. And they mask for white, correct? They do mask out white. So there's two times of of mask you can put, um, you don't have to put anything in, you can scratch it all away every single time. Or you can have, it's a wax that fires off in the kiln, uh, and that's the typical thing. Or I think you can use something, it's not biscuit brisket like you do for your airbrushing, but it's something similar to that. So that's how you get your white markings, is you actually mask off those areas and then put all of your color on top of that and then peel off your masking later so that it's revealed. So it's actually the clay body color coming through and that's the white uh, versus cold painting where you paint on 20 something plus layers of white. So it's just <laughs> like artist resin, right? <laughs> right. The eternal struggle of getting white opaque. <laughs> right. So overglazing um, is what you'd see with the UK because it's their traditional method of application. Sure. It's, it's hand done. There's decoration. Uh-huh, that's right. So you'd see it on their fine bone china. Right. Uh, their porcelain. So a lot of the plates, all the fancy china plates you have were hand-painted pieces. And it's done over top of the glaze, which is why it's called overglaze, because you're going over the clear glaze. And so the, so the clear's the undercoat. The clear is the undercoat in this case. So instead of painting directly onto the bisque like you would in underglaze, you are firing the clear over the bisque and then painting over the clear and the clear comes comes through in the final fire it it's sheen comes through so the color applies to it and in overglaze is actually not a glaze at all it's pieces of glass that are crushed down in really fine fine powder and have been mixed with a flux which is your medium to get the the glass shards to melt onto your clear glaze, and that's how the color sticks. Right. Heather just gave me the mind blown face. <laughs> so does that mean if, <coughs> pardon me. Does that mean in the very beginning you have to decide whether you're gonna go uh, matte or gloss, or is it so the traditional answer for that is yes, but there is, I was telling you guys about the little tadpole that you have, the little green tadpole I did, how there's the clear glaze, which is the main glaze. And then there's also a clear glaze, which is the, and I'm saying glaze, but a clear overglaze or china paint, which is just the flux. Okay. And 
I haven't done it yet, but I want to experiment by putting the powder in, I think it's zinc. I'll have to check on that because I haven't done it in a long time. But it's the matting agent that you put into your overglazing. I want to put that into this clear flux and see if I can mat down the color afterwards versus, you know, like, let's say I changed my mind, you know, after I started all this work, am I stuck with gloss or can I just do a clear? Like you would with cold painting, how you have the dull coat in order to dull it down, Mm -hmm. or you can have a gloss varnish in order to gloss it up. So I think it it would open up a lot of options, but to get back on the judging. (laughs) So yeah, so I was going to say, now that we've taught everybody how to, how to custom glaze, or think about how they want to <laughs> apply that as practicality to how you judge. So because the underglazing, if I can't remember if I said this or not, is all done with an airbrush. We did. It has it can't have the crispness or the hard lines that you would have with the overglazing, which is done with a paintbrush. Um, Karen is the one exception. She is, does amazing work with airbrushed overglazing. But typically so If you have hard lines or very, I'm struggling for the word, very crisp detail. Right. Like Leslie's cat tracking. Right. In an underglazed piece, it is a very, very difficult level of skill. So I would give them brownie points in judging. Sure. And in an overglazed piece, the things I would look out for are the typical pitfalls of oils, actually, because it's, it's very similar to applying oils with hand. Um, it's it flows onto the piece just like oils. You can layer just like oils. It's so and you don't have to fire between layers. You do actually. Um, otherwise, you just create a hot mess, and it wouldn't get <laughs> it wouldn't Literally get any kind mess. of color buildup. <laughs> okay. Well, no, it wouldn't because you hadn't fired it yet. But <laughs> right, um, cold mess, cold mess, <laughs> cold mess. <laughs> but uh, so with the. Overglazing things like leopard appaloosas, where you can hand do in all of those little spots without having to blend, are very very easy to see. And that's in the it, term of that's antithetical to what a lot of people think, correct? Right. That, because you know, leopard appaloosas are so hard right. in cold paint; they're extremely they're difficult. Extremely difficult. In fact, I don't like doing them because they're right. so time right. consuming. Uh, so <laughs> things that actually. This is one of the fun things I found out about China. Things that are actually very difficult to cold paint usually lend themselves very well to China paints. Huh. So things like your awesome. blues, um, depth grays are great in, in glaze. So, really? Yes. So so what's tough? What's tough in glazing? Um, the blending is, is pretty tough because it takes so many layers, at least for me, um, with the overglazing particularly, that... I want to make sure that I still have the light, glossy transparency that I want while getting a buildup of enough colors and not getting brush strokes because it tends to glide really well on the glossy clear glaze. Um, and I, I primarily work in glossy just because I like the look of it. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't like beautiful, shiny mirror? I mean, that goes for plastic people too. They're like, <laughs> exactly. We don't, we don't lick our chinas though. <laughs> But um, that you know of. Okay, I don't like her. <laughs> so I forgot where I was. <laughs> um, you were talking about the getting the the transparency of the layers without losing the shine. Yeah, what was hard? Okay, thank you. Um, so with the overglazing, um, 
and actually it's both mediums. Reds are very hard. Yes, because reds they burn tend out, to right. fire out. They're very unstable, <clears throat> and that's true whether you're underglazing or overglazing. So, so getting a really nice bay is tough, right? Yes, a very nice red bay. Golds are very easy. So, but then that's buckskin. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a little bit of red, so you can yeah, yeah, you yeah, can get yeah. it in there. But yeah, if you want a bright, shiny red bay or a red chestnut, then that's difficult. Um, I know the bigger the kiln works better because you have more oxygen getting to the glaze. Mm -hmm. There's so much of the chemistry to this, and I'm just sure. scratching the surface. Sure. Uh, pardon um, the pun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so things like the leopard appaloosa are pretty easy when you don't have to shade. You don't have to worry about trying to blend the colors and leaving brush strokes because it's a contained little area. Uh, white markings are very easy because they're just, instead of, like we said, painting 20 layers, you are leaving the white of the clay. So in underglazing, you're masking off. In overglazing, you're just taking whatever, if it's a water-based medium, you're taking water and you're literally just wiping the paint off, which is wonderful. If you're working with oil-based medium, you can take turpentine or mineral spirits and same thing, just wipe right. off the paint uh, and leave that gorgeous clay body coming through. Nice. So in the underglazing side of things, the difficulties would be Getting a realistic color because you don't know the kind of colors you're working with until it's fired. Well, I I'm sure as soon as there, you get to be old hand at it, it tends oh, it tends to be easier. I'm sure. And I, I know. <clears throat> but yeah, that I've that seen there um, are logs like uh, Leslie Leslie Kaplan's <laughs> page where you know she did my hackney, and you can see that the hackney before it's fired and after is night and day. It's purple. It doesn't look anything like no. it. So you almost have to, you have to have a vision of where you're going. Right. Because it's like flying blind. It is. And so I have a lot of respect for those that think, I can't do it. I, I like knowing where I'm going, knowing yeah. what color I put on there. Yeah. So huge amounts of respect for them. Um, the other thing that's tough for them are the fine lines. Like we said, anything that looks hand painted is incredibly tough because they're dealing with an airbrush and scritching color off. So they have to, when you scritch color off, it's very hard to to blend, to get a soft mm -hmm. blending. So that takes a lot of skill. If you see something like uh, one of your Pintos had a black and white tail, mm -hmm. you know, the white tail shaded into the black. That would have had to have been, you could see it wasn't just airbrushed black kind of shading up into the white. Somebody, Leslie, I believe, yeah, painted yeah. it. She had taken the time to scratch that off and kind of blend it in so it looked more like hair with the fine lines. Right. And it was gorgeous. And that's extremely difficult. Okay, so, let's... um. Let's talk to Renee for a second. What, <laughs> what about, what about workmanship? Did, you know, I know that you, that you got the huge point in, in uh, breed for ABC that you got to look beyond the finish. Right. And so workmanship, um, that one, it's, it's somewhat easier to judge I found. And then I learned that that was pretty common to that. A lot of people start with workmanship because the flaws are going to be more obvious when they're obvious. And if they're not, then it's going to be the horse that really speaks to you. Um, but the biggest takeaway that I got from workmanship was actually how much you can learn from every horse that you're looking at. So I think I would certainly encourage anyone that has a chance to even pretend to judge and go around to your friend's house and look at all the horses. <laughs> um, or certainly if you have a chance to judge, because the more horses that you look at and expose yourself to, the more that you can learn, especially if you ever have any dreams of kind of learning to customize or anything like that, because you can learn so much from how other artists do it. 
Um, and everyone is different with their style too. So judging a workmanship class, it is going to be subjective. Um, and the ladies today let me know that it's okay to trust your judgment as well. So uh, there will always be people that disagree with your decision, but as long as you have a sound reason for why you picked your lineup and you're willing to speak to that decision to other people, there is no wrong answer. It's ultimately all artwork. So. So let's switch gears a little bit and let's, we didn't do any performance exercises here today because we, we got tired after all the pretty horses. Um, <laughs> but let's, Jen has had a series of blogs about performance judging on, um, this would be Buxton, by the way. Buxton. <laughs> Jen Scott does not have a blog. No, no, no she does it's, it's, not it's been really. dead for <laughs> 2,000 years. Yeah. Right? Uh, so Buxton is, you know, a passionate performance uh, shower and judge, um, and she makes tack. And um, I was really enlightened by the way she judges performance because it, it, it comes off of a real judging model, and I think it's, it's super um, – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not economy, but, uh, efficient. efficient. That's the word instead of, cause all of us, I, when I did my judging notes, we were all writing down <clears throat> the major problems with the, the entries we saw. Jen just goes through and go, does points. So can you go well, into, so I really have kind of like three levels of how I judge. And the first is I look at the horse and what it's doing and how suited it is for the class. It's so it's doing what it should be. Yeah. Right. So talk about that a little but, bit um, with a comparison, because I'm not sure a lot of people follow that. Well, it's almost like if you imagined the horse for in a jumper class, the horse is approaching the jump. I look, does he look like a jumper? Does he have his hawks under him? Does he look like he's ready to jump? How is his placement in relation to the jump? And so those are the things I'm looking so at. So suitability, um, suitability and placement. Placement is huge. And I see a lot of people, they start judging by looking at the tack. They want to nitpick the tack, but I feel like that assumes all the horses in the class are equal, and they really, really mm -hmm. are not. You could have your Roxy cantering down to the jump, and she's really on her forehand in love. So that jump better be little, mm -hmm. and her placement better be good because she does not have the spring to make up for no she it. would she would just canter over so, mm -hmm. you know a very it's low cross right. so that's a lot of the things is <laughs> i almost the first pass is almost i'm taking all the tack out of it i'm looking at placement and the suitability of the horse and then the next pass but i don't actually do this in three passes that would take too long but it's, but you kind of when you walk up you kind of right. take a long look at the table right? right and so then i'm looking at the tack for is it the correct tack for the class does it fit i'm not necessarily looking at is it amazing tack right and looking at the basics, everything that needs to be there is it there. So I'm kind of on the details. And at this point, the class is usually mostly placed, honestly, with suitability sure. of the horse and the clean and correct factor. But if I can go beyond that, it really is kind of like the wow factor. How awesome is this entry? Do all the pieces tell the same story? Are they dialed in? Is it just, does it have something that goes beyond, well, I have a horse with a saddle and a doll and a prop. And they're all basically good, but none of them are perfect. Like if you look at Lou Heater's cutting entry, which we've brought up a million times. I on judge my blog, that piece too, yeah. I think it's got the best doll in the hobby. Like you look at that and every piece of it is precise and perfect and amazing. That's the wow factor. A lot of our entries don't have that, and it's really hard to have that in some classes. It's just too basic. But when you can do that, and people tend to call that the kitchen sink or trying to wow the judge with a bunch of crap. 
I don't care about a bunch of crap. It doesn't always work, but when every oh, piece yeah. is dialed in and perfect, yeah, yeah. it's ooh. There's, I, I think there's a difference between kitchen sink because I have seen kitchen sink. Uh, it's not, and, and if the, ultimately if the horse is not made for the job, it's, it's not going to, it's, it, you can have something with just jump and a horse and a rider, you know, right. and it's going to beat it. I get a little frustrated because I think a lot of people look at a big entry with lots of parts and just want to call it kitchen sink. A kitchen sink is when, especially when the stuff doesn't all relate to each other and some of sure. those are relevant scale issues. scale issues. That's huge. That's a big one for me. So that's kind of like the three things I look at in the order of importance is the horse and then the correctness and then the wow. Um, yeah. I think when you were talking about the points, you might've been saying like how I kind of have done it. With yeah. Your crib, horses. your crib notes. Right. So, and a lot of times I don't get to doing that, but I laugh because my judge's notes are also often a bunch of little numbers. <laughs> right, right. But I feel like, and this comes from the reining, where every horse that walks into the ring starts at a zero, and then every maneuver, the judge gives it a score from like negative three to positive three, which they do halves, and that's complicated in a show hall when you're going fast. So I tend to kind of go from a, just whole right. numbers. But I'll give points for that. So if I'm stuck between two entries and they're very close, I will point it out. I'm like, this horse is a plus three on this, and this one's a plus two. So I see a lot of people who are only worrying about negatives. They're only talking about what's wrong with the entry. Mm -hmm. And so they say, well, this one's the best because it had nothing wrong with it. But I'm like, but what did it have right with it? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Sam, Sam was meowing in the background last time. So. I really want entries that have something right with it, too. I think only Absolutely. judging on faults is really going about it completely backwards and i get very frustrated by that judging yeah. because i will i'm the same way in halter we were talking about if it's the best horse on the table and it's got the cat hair on it i'm just not going to see that cat hair i'm not going to set take the best horse out of the class because it's got a little bit of dust yep yep the best That's, entry is the best entry the, the horses that win for me as well are not there's nothing wrong with it it's it's the what back to authenticity and back to What's it, what is it doing right? right. Like I judged, um, I judged over fences at Nan this summer. Um, and Nan was really small, but the, the English classes were super competitive. And, you know, my top two were amazing. There was a, a Vegas uh, a chip jump and there was a cross country jump that was, you know, you'd be hard pressed to not only say there's nothing wrong with it, but look at the level. And neither one were kitchen sink. Just right. went to... The details of the, the cross-country entry had the flak vest and the medical card on the shoulder and the, and the big watch. Everything you would see, that's not kitchen sink. That's attention to detail. Right. It's right? dialed in. Yeah. And precise. Absolutely. Position of the rider, the tack was right. The horse was right, you know. I mean... And that's not to dissuade you from trying performance if you had ambitions to try performance. <laughs> Actually, it really shouldn't dissuade you because the first most important thing is the horse. Right. Yes. Because you can have all the wow factor in the world and you will fool some judges. But sometimes, yep. and this happens a lot because we really value the all-around horse and putting one horse in 30 classes, the horse ends up in a class he's really not suited for. And the good judges, although they see it's a really cool entry, they're like, but the heart of the entry, the horse, is not the best and, here. and this is a thing we haven't addressed. Um, I, I talk a lot about it with my friends, my performance friends, that 
while our local shows um, reward the generalist, that doesn't translate at NAND. And normally those generalist horses lose to something that's been dialed in, was made directly for the class they're in. Um, and, and you know, th that's just the nature of the beast right now. And I don't know how we address it. Well, but at Renee's show that she's holding in December, <laughs> we're going to have classes for specialists. Yes. True. Yes. My I know, I'm really excited yeah. about that because so often we're looking for the generalist. And I cannot wait for your show. <laughs> I'm so, so excited. So before we start yeah, talking yeah. about Renee's classes, because I want to, before we wrap this up, I want to talk about our, our 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 two shows and kind of the performance and where we're going with them because I think it's very different. Um, talk to me about. I know you judged performance last weekend, and Sandy Sanderson, yeah. who is a, a big gun in the performance world, coached you. Yeah. So what did you learn? What were the biggest takeaways for you from that experience? Funnily enough, the biggest takeaways were really small things. It was things like, if you have a horse doing a pattern, please tell me where in the pattern that horse is. <laughs> <laughs> How do I judge it otherwise? Where the hell is he? <laughs> exactly. That's, that's really tough. But uh, otherwise, it was also definitely more is not always better. Mm. You know, the cleaner entries that are precise um, and true to the realistic discipline were often stronger than the ones that have all the bells and whistles. Um, and while bells and whistles can be really nice and they're certainly entertaining, they make a good photo. <laughs> they don't translate into what would happen in reality all the time. So and that's why I would encourage new people to try showing performance as well, because you don't have to have this huge elaborate setup to necessarily be competitive. You just have to have that eye for detail and um, knowledge of the real discipline would, would really help as well to have a background there as well. And if not, just Google it. <laughs> the internet will tell the you. The internet will tell you. To go, to, go to local horse shows. I that's mean, the I, biggest you know. Mm -hmm. Talk to people that know their discipline and have been in it currently, you know, and watch, you know, there's so many outlets to watch shows now. Oh, yeah. You can right. watch Pony Finals. You can watch, you know, Equestrian. There's a whole damn there's station that channels, does, like does um, Western channels. stuff, yeah. like uh, it's RFD. It's really oh, yeah. form and something. But, and, yeah. And the advantage of these is it's usually very high-level competition because a lot of times if you're only going to your local small thing, those are the people and they're saying, oh, but I've ridden in this. They're, they're not really as current as they think they are. Well, so, and the other thing is they don't, the, the things we, we always address the Grand Prix level of most anything in our <laughs> classes. I have yet to see some kid going off pattern with his coach screaming his, <laughs> his test to him, which is how it works at local shows for dressage, riding in a hunt seat saddle, right? With no coat. You don't even see hunt seat saddles like, at dressage shows. You mean like intro like level? Like training body. level or pony no, level? No, never all training the time. level, though. And green as grass? I, well, I saw them. <laughs> it's, I mean, I saw been, them. It's been, but in recent years, it's been a long time since I've seen Well, you're talking about even local rated shows. I'm, I'm talking uh, like... With, you have to go really low, is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, no, it's, 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 once you get to first, it's, yeah, forget it. September, and it was all. Yeah, that's oh, well, exactly. I have, I have dressage. I never rode it in a hunt seat. Saddle, I, I some think that's did. a change, though. I saw, so somebody, I saw somebody ride in a park saddle one time. I was like, "What are you thinking?" I've seen somebody <laughs> ride in a park class in a dressage saddle, though, at an Arab show. Well, they isn't that handy? Horse, um, no, no, now. it was a park class. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was but isn't that hard? Because they were in the saddles and wanted more. Or at least I think that's what it is. Okay, so derailment. <laughs> this is how this goes. Rabbit hole. <laughs> That's what we call it on the show. Ooh, rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, what was I going to talk about? Oh, let's talk about your show, particularly um, Clash of Colors yeah. and Battle of the Breeds for Performance. So let's talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah, so this was um, a first NAMSA told me as I was trying to get NAN qualification for my performance classes. And so it is NAN qualified in the end. But what I'm doing is instead of doing performance by discipline, by English, Western, jumping, whatever it might be, we're doing it by breed. So I want to see light breed against light breed, sport breed against sport breed. And whatever their discipline is, I, I'm really hoping that it's going to be judged on the all the merits of the piece for its own merits based on the breed that is represented and the discipline that it's doing being breed relevant. So maybe an Arabian in costume, maybe an Arabian doing endurance. Those entries are going to compete against each other for their own merits. So I'm really excited. Yeah, that's to really innovative. It's going to be cool. Yeah. Just wait for your other green type. Yes. <laughs> I'm excited. And talk about the color classes. Yeah, and so color classes are all going to be workmanship classes as well, and kind of in the same vein, putting chestnuts against chestnuts and bays against bays, and I don't care what breed they are, this is about the workmanship, and I really want to um, encourage amateur showers as well. So we have a full amateur division, we have a youth division as well, I'm trying to encourage everybody that ever would like to try their hand at painting. We had five youth showers at the last show. We got six coming to this one. So nice. six. Yes. Yeah. We're moving on up. <laughs> yep. um, and then uh, in closing, um, I'm going to talk about my show, which is also runs on the color uh, collectability uh, vibe. So that's pretty similar. But my performance classes, I don't have to worry about name qualification at this point because I've decided not to qualify for now. Um, we're doing themes. So it's really, uh, I give you a word and a one line requirement um, and then it is up to you. You can use any horse, any setup, as long as it fills the requirement. Uh, one of the requirements is wheels. I don't care. There's going to be wheels in your setup. The horse doesn't have to be pulling them. There could be a golf cart. There can be a wheeled trash bin. <laughs> but it has to play a role. So um, the other one, since Tiffany Purdy's judging, is pink. So we'll have a pink class where, you know, your horse, whatever it's doing, has to have uh, the majority of everything uh, it's at least that it's wearing is pink. Uh, there's a uh, bling, bling, bling. So you get to get fancy with your horses. There's one with animals. Um, and then you're not allowed to show a horse more than in two classes. So this is the shower is being rewarded instead of the horse. So you got to change out your horses and you have to have at least one uh, other entry, like traditional other entry, one Western and one English. So it's really putting to the test the creativity of the shower um, as as opposed to getting a horse in there and doing the long haul across, you know, 20 classes to try and win the whole thing. This is going to reward the shower for their flexibility, for their vision, and for their creativity. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's my first performance show. I'm going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I have loners if you need anything. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's, a whole, there's a whole cabal of performance showers that ship things back. Sure. Don't be afraid to ask. Okay. <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap it up. Um, I really appreciate everybody coming over and, and, uh, and sharing your expertise and helping out Renee. I think uh, she's one of the brightest uh, new, new faces on the Colorado scene. Um, we're glad she just jumped in like yes, full bore, like yes. I'm going, like that's what we need, you know, Get off your butt and do it. Like that. Yes. Um, do you have anything to say in closing? Oh, thank you guys. I'm so lucky to have such good mentors. I'm learning <laughs> so much so fast, and I'm super excited for the future of the hobby. It's really bright. Jen? Scott? I don't think I can top that. <laughs> 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 um, no, it, it's just, 
it's really encouraging to see young folks like yourself coming up in the hobby because and listening to the podcast, how you say there were other young folks that were just not well, aware of them. We, I had people coming to 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 Spring Fling like. Renee, um, we, we obviously met at my yellow card shows mm-hmm. last year, but Glenn Yancey mm-hmm. is now on the scene and uh, Kenzie Parr, like these are women in their twenties and, and oh, yeah. I'm really excited about and, it. And they're ready to you know take the torch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And they have new ideas and that's wonderful. Absolutely. And they're very receptive. Speed dating. That's coming next. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for uh, for doing the roundtable with me. I appreciate you coming over and, and uh, spending time. And we're going to go eat more dessert so and drink sangria. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right. Well, there we go. Um, that was amazing. That was awesome. That sounded like fun. Yeah, it was cool. super fun. It was super fun. We had a great time. It's like people were here for eight hours. That's, that's it was awesome. great. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good pony play day. Like, well, yeah, you can tell like people were just like kind of starving for the whole thing. So we had a, we had a super good. time. Uh, so, um, and I know you talked. I to did. Kate I talked to Kate so Cabot. Tell us. Um, so I talked to Kate Cabot uh, mostly about kind of her history is. Tell us about okay, who I'm Kate sorry. Cabot Kate is. Kate Cabot yeah. is a hobbyist who um, originally from California, currently has been in the, the East Coast for, you know, like 742 years. Um, old school. Old school hobbyist. She considers herself second gen. Um, but she is. She was also one of the founders of NAMSA, yes, right? Yes, she was uh, on the, the team that founded that. She's also has, had for a very long time in like the 90s been very influential in the New England model horse hobby um and respond you know partially responsible for the culture that was up there for quite a while with a they very very you know communal kind of group um so kate's been judging for forever um talked to her a little bit about kind of how she got into it and kind of try to get to into some of her process i tried to get her to talk about performance she didn't want to touch that with 10 foot pole (laughs) i don't know why because i think judging performance if you're starting out may be a little easier to grasp but whatever um yeah so she was getting ready for um trxc which was this past weekend as well and um i i i think this interview went very well she was a little anxious about it afterwards oh everybody on my interview was like i don't know what to say like it's fine it's fine it's fine yeah it's fine all right well let's listen to that Hey, gang, I'm here today with Kate Cabot from Beverly, Massachusetts. Say hi, Kate. Hello. <laughs> Kate, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your involvement in the hobby and um, how you came to be, how you came into judging in the first place? Wow. Okay. Um, I'm one of those, I consider myself a second generation hobbyist. Um, I got into the hobby when it was still... Um, passed on mimeograph sheets and you uh, sent away for things and you would get um, stuff sent in a in an envelope with extra stamps. You'd use a what was called a self-addressed stamped envelope. Oh, so I'm, I'm that old. <laughs> um, and it was mostly my my uh, first judging was was by photo shows, like an awful lot of other people of my age and generation. And, um, you know, the most amazing thing was getting these um, huge collections of photos sent to you from all over the country and um, just to see what everybody else's collection looked like because it was such a, a small 
a group of people that we were so far distant from each other. So that's how I started in judging. And then um, as live shows became more available to me, um, mostly after college when I got back into the hobby and moved to the East Coast, um, then, you know, I started showing and gradually I became a judge within a community, a small community of people. Um, and, you know, it's the, the, the model horse hobby has grown so much in just a short amount of time, um, if you think about it. Um, so judging has, has taken many forms over, over those many years. Uh, and it's, I don't know, that's, that's just, I don't want to get too antique on you all, but, <laughs> but that's, that's where um, it started. Yeah, I mean, a little antique is is fine. <laughs> um, so, what if you're approaching a halter class? Because kind of in general, mm-hmm. broad spro- strokes, and I'm going to be we're going to be kind of looking more at how people approach, how you approach a breed class mm-hmm. rather than collect collectability or workmanship. Kind of what's your philosophy when you're looking at a group of horses and judging them as thoroughbreds or border horses or Morgans or what have you. What is your philosophy on judging those horses? Well, the first thing I'm looking for is, is it a horse? <laughs> <laughs> um, that sounds really basic, but, um, you know, I want a, I want to look at a model and see something that could potentially function in actual living form. I want, you know, basic things like, you know, I want all the legs about the same length. I want to see that. <laughs> I want to see a neck that looks like a horse neck that could bend, could move. Um, I want I want to be convinced when I'm looking at something that um, that this is this is as close to what a real animal would look like. So that's first pass. Before I even get to the breed part, I want a horse that looks like a horse, and that looks like it could could function as a horse. Mm-hmm. Um, so then after that, then I start to look at more specifics. I mean, if you have, um, a, a class of, um, class of, of, um, of thoroughbreds, for instance, which ones on the table look like first horses and second thoroughbreds. And that's when you start actually looking at, at them as breed examples, and when you're looking at a thoroughbred, this is a horse that may, you know, it, it could be a racehorse. So there's maybe that type involved in the class. You'll see some horses that'll look like they're racehorse track type of horses. And then others that might be more uh, general performance horses or usable horses beyond beyond the, the race only. I, I tend to, when I look at a plastic class, of course... I have to look I, I'm no matter what, I'm always looking at models, right? Right. So <laughs> I'm looking for one that looks most like a horse, and then from there what looks most like a thoroughbred of the type that I want. And I'm you know, if one of them has a great big scratch on it and it's an OF plastic class, you know, it may make a very lovely horse, but it's still got a nice big scratch on it. So that one probably is not gonna be in my top tier. Mm-hmm. Um uh, one of the things that many of us have been saying for a very long time is what else, whatever else is on the table. I mean, there's, when you have a class of 20 horses, you know, if half of them are ruffians, what's the other half? 
you know, I mean, you try and you look at the class that you have. And I'm not always going to pick, I mean, I'm, there's certain molds that I like for certain breeds a lot. But if it's an OF plastic class and, you know, I'm also looking at are their legs straight, just like is it a horse that could function? Does it, does it really look like a, like, a, like a thoroughbred or does it look like a quarter horse or does it look like, a, like, you know, some other breed that really doesn't, it's not showing itself as a thoroughbred to me? All of those mm-hmm. things. And then, you, and then you have to look at one versus the other, which is, that's, that can get really tricky, especially if you're talking in a big um, OF plastic class. Because you might have a bunch of lovely models that are all essentially alike. And you have to get and look at each one of them and, and rank them according to, you know, their condition and, and, and uh, all of that, too. So it's hard to do this without examples on a table to talk about mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I know we always kind of t- kind of talk about judging as like it's a thought experiment <laughs> but, it's um, not. but on the other hand on the other hand when you give people a list of horses then they go oh okay that's the key and they write it down yeah, and then yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. Well, why why didn't this one pit place over this one when you said this one places over this one yeah well i mean someday you know it, those two models that i might really like I might like one better for one thing and another better for another thing. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard because, again, the difference, if you're judging and you're judging OF plastic, you know, that means you've got a lot, usually you've got a lot more horses on the table than mm-hmm. if you're judging, uh, say, a custom class or an artist resin class or a china class. All of those are distinctly different in terms of the kinds of models that you get entered and the sort of things that you have to look at or are are given the opportunity to look at as a judge. (laughs) So where do you fall on um, things like colors or markings that the breed registry has decided is undesirable versus what can actually happen in a given population? of a breed like blue eyes, well, blue eyes, extensive yeah, white markings, right. those kinds of things. Honestly, um, those are all things that happen after my first look, see with the, um, with the structure, you know, mm-hmm. it, the horse has to be a horse first. I don't generally care that much about color. Um, but I do want to know that it's genetically possible. Mm-hmm. And for that, you know, I rely on, the sources that I have, and among those are Leslie's wonderful research that she's, Leslie Kathman's wonderful research that she's done over the years, is very helpful to all of us as judges. Um, because, you know, even though the breed registry of the Frisian says, you know, we don't have these colors, uh, we know that they're out there, the chestnuts are out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't write a horse off purely by color, but if you're talking about a crossbreed, in the case of, you know, I've seen a lot of, I grew up in the West, and I've seen a lot of uh, Appaloosa crossbreeds. Um, I've seen a few on Arabians. And when you breed an Arabian to a, an Appaloosa, you don't usually get a An Appaloosa-colored Arabian? A lovely, <laughs> a lovely uh, leopard Appaloosa that looks like it walked out of the Arabian halter ring. It just doesn't. <laughs> 
really happen. Now now that I've said that, though, I'm sure everybody's going to find it. I'm sure somebody's got a picture of one somewhere. But generally speaking, an Appaloosa will add its own conformational qualities to that of the Arab, and the Arab will add its conformational qualities to that of the Appaloosa. And so you're not going to get something that looks like a purebred Arabian with an Appaloosa coat color very often. So there you go. There um, you go. Uh, and, you know, so much of what we create as model horse hobbyists, you know, it's like we want we want to see what we can do with this information that we have. So I've <laughs> seen some really interesting crossbreeds. And I will say that to some degree, we're stuck with this with original finish models that um, that, you know, the manufacturer wasn't necessarily planning on us, you know, saying, okay, well, this looks like the only way I could get here would be if I had a fjord and I bred it with a Frisian and then I bred that with something else. <laughs> I don't think that Briar spends a lot of time trying to figure out those things for us. Maybe they do now, but. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not so much in the past. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So, um, do you do any kind of like formal study or learning or has this been, you know, kind of the information you get that kind of um, informs your judging? Is this just kind of stuff that, you know, you were reading this anyway? It's just something you're kind of interested in. Are there specific things you think, you know, model horse judges should probably go take a peek at? Well, I, I will say that it that it helps to see horses in real life as much as you can. I think um, a lot of us can get, you know, involved with model horses, but not not spend a lot of time with real ones. Um, mm -hmm. And in terms of like understanding how horses move and how they're put together, I think really the, your best example of that is a real animal and spending time with with real horses. Going to breed shows if you have if you have that available to you, that's a great way to see what the breed wants to show you. In terms of like the difference between, you know, seeing your friends Arabian in their backyard and out on a trail ride versus seeing a, a group of halter Arabians in a row. Um, so that that might, you know, I think think those kinds of real sources are really good. Um, I have a ton of books and like most model horse people, it's they're the encyclopedia type books that give you a a bunch of different breeds and hopefully we'll give you some photographs um, of each breed and enough of them so that you get, you know, some kind of view of it. But horse magazines, another thing to do is to pick up, you know, older, newer, whatever horse magazines that show you more examples of particular breeds. So you're not just seeing the one there's a couple of books out there where you see the same picture in two or three books. And it's like, not every Gelderlander is that Gelderlander. There have to be a couple others. <laughs> <laughs> one would hope. <laughs> I like uh, one of the funny things I see on, on television occasionally is it seems like on BBC there's, they trot out those Frisians every time there's a, there's some sort of a Victorian, um, uh, romantic, you know, romantic uh, movie that they'll put the same Frisians to the same, the same wagon and 
bring them out every time. So it's like, if you want to see a Frasian, just turn on PBS and you'll see one. Or two. <laughs> Maybe a four again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you want to get into performance judging at all? Not really. <laughs> no? <laughs> I'll tell you why I don't. Because okay. performance judging, for me, I've done more with performance with model horses than I have with real ones. Um, mm -hmm. I, I started out as a, uh, a pony clubber and then I moved to a part of the world where there really wasn't any pony club. And, uh, then I became a rodeo club kid and, um, I sort of taught myself, you know, how to ride Western, but not particularly well. And I took lessons here and there, but I never actually competed in, in anything. And now that I've gotten old and gray, I've decided that carriage driving is my thing. And so I'm starting to compete a little bit in that real low levels training level. Um, but I won't say that I have the knowledge that I have accrued from performance showing um, or in performance showing has more to do with like watching other people do it, you know, and then mm -hmm. learning the rules and trying to apply it in scale. And, um, you know, I, I think that makes me a, a decent, like, overall lower level performance judge. But for, for things like, uh, you know, the fine points of dressage, I'm just not that judge. So, you know, I've, I've, I judged it, I look at it carefully, I do my best. But if somebody else would like to judge the ones that involve the more uh, higher knowledge. Uh, I, I tend to defer on that. Yeah. I mean, cause I would argue that most model horse performance judges, most model horse performance showers have kind of a, a similar, similar story where you were maybe really involved in one discipline. Um, and everything else, you know, about others is based upon watching them, either going to shows or watching a lot of YouTube or, or whatever. And reading the rule books, which can right. help you sometimes. But if you actually read the rule books and then you go to the shows and you see what they're pinning, it's not always what they say in the rule book. Right. <laughs> um, and it's also, you know, sitting down and reading the rule book can sometimes be a little daunting because <laughs> there's a large section of the rule book that is taken up with, you know, like, this is who needs to be staffing the show exactly. and this is how you build the jumps and blah, blah, yeah. and stuff that doesn't really apply to us, you know. So, I mean, it doesn't matter how many technical delegates are at the model horse show. No one cares. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, you know, certainly not being very involved in a discipline does not stop people from judging it. That's true. Um, because if we if, if we expected that of our model horse judges, we would not have. No, I have judged very many. I have judged it, but I have to say mm -hmm. there are some there are some classes that I would rather I would rather somebody who might have more depth in a particular thing, like working western. I've chased cows and I've had the best time. But I've I've never I've never had to technically understand how cutting takes takes place except in a model horse context. Mm -hmm. That's that's something that I would say is mostly true across the board. I mean, maybe when you get into some of the Western regions, more people have more stock work experience in actuality. Um, but out here, it's kind of hard to come by. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I know about roping, I learned on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> it's confusing. So, so um, what are your favorite things to judge? 
Wow. Okay. It depends. I will tell you. Okay. I'm going to say the first thing I really love to judge is not so much. Well, let's just say I love to judge junior and novice showers. And that's not because I, you know, it, it, it's because I really want to be able to introduce them to this whole experience. And I've had wonderful experiences with, um, you know, 10, 12 year old new incoming showers and, you know, answering their questions and, and looking at what they have. And I love seeing um, people who are just starting out and customizing. I think that's fantastic. So I would say, you know, rather than, than, you know, just thinking in terms of the, of the, uh, the one kind of class, I'd say that category of, of people I would really like to work with. And, and I'm very pleased that I get to do that this year at, um, the region, um, 10 championships, Trixie. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, we have the region 10 fraternity, which is the, the, the novice and junior show. So I'm, I'm going to be the judge for that this year. I'm really excited about that. Excellent. Um, I'll get back to that in just a second, (laughs) but if you, um, people who want to learn more about how to judge, how would you suggest people get into that? Well, um, we we uh, in Region Ten we have started a, a program of uh, schooling shows, um, and what that means is that um, somebody will offer a small or usually pretty smaller class 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 list, and um, then all of us will take part in um, judging that, and then we'll each get to you know go over the class and how we pinned it and why. And it's just an opportunity to be just kind of learning from what others are doing and and helping people with um, maybe some uh, information that you might have. We had a great one at um, at my house uh, last winter called the Ride and Drive Schooling Show, which was great because we had um, it was all just English performance and and uh, harness driving. So mm-hmm. that's all it was and. Um, and there were people that would bring that brought amazing things to show, and you know we had um, competitors here who have competed on the highest levels, and then people who were just starting to get into it. You know, maybe somebody had just bought their first harness and they wanted to know how to fit it. So it was just a, a great, great way to get people together, and um, it's like, you know, learning how to show hold, learning how to judge, and and learning from the experiences of others. So it, it was just an, I. I really, re- I really recommend people look into this concept, you know, uh, of a schooling show wherever they are. I think they're easily um, going to get around. I think a lot of people are going to start doing them. Excellent. And uh, it's possible that this will be released after Trixie is mm-hmm. over. But do you want to go ahead and pitch Trixie since this is an annual thing that you guys do? Yeah, the Region X um, championships. Um, X being the part that makes the Trixie sound, the X sound. <laughs> uh, the Region X championships um, are held every year. Um, this year, a little earlier than normal. We normally have held them uh, the first week of November. Uh, this year, um, it's the 13th and 14th of October in Amherst, um, Massachusetts at the UMass Amherst campus. And you can, okay, and and just do you want to describe the format a little bit? Um, it is, I know it's I know it's really familiar for Region Ten. Yeah, and region it is. A, nine, it's, a, but. it's a championship show. It's largely what were what have been called the stakes classes. They're the championships classes, but we also have maiden classes um, that 
allow people to to qualify for the class the the championship class on the day of if their horse hasn't already qualified um so that's 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 basically what it is but it covers gosh everything when I mean, we've got uh all the finishes divisions <laughs> we've got flexibility <laughs> we got workmanship we got yeah we got the whole nine yards plus performance um and we also have the fraternity which is for the the uh the novice and and junior showers so when you describe novices is this are you talking about adult novices too yeah, or? I, I usually i think they're called i think that the way the fraternity has put it, it has put it is they're all novices but i like to think of them as being two separate categories not that we need to separate people but I do think that when when we are introducing um, particularly young people to this hobby, we have to think about you know um, their their age and their their parents. Maybe it's hard for them to get to shows. It's when I think of a junior show, I think of a show that has to do with introducing both the young shower and their family to the hobby, um, which is not necessarily true when adult novices come in. Um, they have mm-hmm. to kind of like you know deal with it on their own not have to not 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 uh not have their parents in with them but there's a little bit of an extra extra leap for me as a as a judge and show holder when i'm you know also uh communicating this to family members (laughs) (laughs) if you can imagine that (laughs) yeah and where can people find more information about the schooling shows or trixie or uh yeah you can find that out on um the region x nation website so just look for region x nation and you'll find us excellent anything else you want to add well no this has been fun and um (laughs) and you know i wish i could show you all a table of horses to show you how i do this but maybe you'll find a schooling show and and uh and you can get a chance to do that yourself all right well thank you very much kate and uh have fun running trxe in a couple weeks all right thank you all right right. Uh, that was great thanks Thanks, kate Kate. thanks for uh enlightening (laughs) us we love you all right. Uh, so wrapping up the the perform or judging uh, judging insights. Um, uh, if you want to uh, get a judging mentor, please check out our page or reach out to me and Jackie personally, and we'll try and match you up. We really need to expand the pools. We really are interested in expanding the ABC philosophy, mm-hmm. uh, the kind of the clean and, and concise performance diatribe. Uh, yeah, and just let us know. The more we educate people, the more satisfactory the, uh, the showing experience is going to be for everybody because uh, people are going to know what people right. are looking it's- for. And I think that's really the key to um, solidifying uh, a more harmonious Yeah, and I hobby. think that's going to be much friendlier on newbies because it's not going to be like, yes. oh, you have to have all this arcane knowledge from the last 40 years to understand this. Right. Yeah. Yes. So, yay. Yep. All right. All right. Moving on. We're going to move on yay. to events. Woo! Okay. So, we're back. Um, so, this is upcoming and recently past hobby events. Um, first thing on here is Midnight Madness, which is being held on Halloween at Stone Horses. 
Um, it is a live event in Chipshawana as well as a Facebook streamed thing. Is that correct? That should be interesting if that is in fact what they're doing. That's my understanding that they're live streaming and it's actually at the factory. And uh, I'm not sure if they're doing an auction or a best offer. Um, uh, they're uh, they're certainly touting it as those uh, like probably a costume contest. Yeah, they, uh, they've been they pretty, like those. pretty heavily promoting it on the Stone Horses page. So that ought to be That's an interesting kind of in, use uh, of things, too. It's like, oh, we're having a live party, but also come join us on Facebook. That is I fun. I think that's fun. I think that's mm-hmm. really fun. Um, we've been kind of remiss with the Stone stuff. They had a, uh, they had, they also had a best offer thing a couple of weeks ago. It's still, the horses are still up if you want to go to stonehorses.com and look at them. They had a bunch of minis that were customized hmm. by their in-house staff. Carolyn Boydston does a lot for them, but this was their in-house people. So go have a look at their best offer stuff as well. Uh, and check out uh, their webpage for the Midnight yeah, Madness. Good times. So I actually right. got to a show this weekend. Yeah. Good times. Um, I got up at Odark. How long? How long has it been? Yes, since Briarfest? Yes. <laughs> this is the first time I've shown in my region this year, by the way. I've been everywhere else. Just about. They know when you're um, working. Yeah. So, yep. um, so I went to uh, Berks County 4-H, Berks County 4-H Horse Council um, Horse Show, which they do a couple shows a year. Um, it is in Leesport, Pennsylvania. It's about two hours away. Um, I got up at Odark 30 and <laughs> up Mary LaFons and took her to her first bottle horse show. Yay, she was she was shocked and astounded by how much crap I was driving along with me. Um, because I was showing oh, I artist resins customs. They had divisions for regular size and minis, and I was showing performance. And this show has recently shifted to the model where you have one horse per division. You can't take one horse and run it through the whole class list. Yeah. Which really? that is typically my MO. <laughs> I bring one horse and blow it. That's through. a lot of people's MO because that's right. how you win. And I actually, uh, somewhat agree with that. Well, uh, what they did was they had divisions and you had a divisional champ and then all the divisional champs went up against each other for the reserve and grand. Then what they did was they took the reserves and grands from OF and custom and basically battled them out for, you know, Supreme leader champ per- performance show king of the ring you know oh kind of thing oh cool um so that was kind of cool um so who held burks it is held uh by a woman named leanne long she's not a hobbyist she's up for each leader she gets a lot of help yeah well, she gets a lot though. of help from yeah. hobbyists so this is a well-supported show from the hobby i saw the pictures oh, from it it looked it's, like it's a competitive, competitive show. show yeah it's not slouchy and I was I was really surprised it was that competitive during the same week that Trixie was. Well, going. this is a you know this serves a different population than Trixie. Um, Trixie also has kind of moved more to a. This is also early for Trixie. It's early for Trixie. This is Trixie's usually a couple of weeks later. It's like beginning of November. I'm not sure why it was moved this early, but Trixie's kind of moved to being a more um, regional championship type show. So they really kind of. You really kind of need to be showing in Region 10 and qualifying horses to, to get there. You can show open, but it's limited what you can do. Um, and it kind of uh. came down to me. It was I could show I have a bunch of new stuff because I don't go to shows. Um, the performance right. division, everything I showed in performance, one horse I had tacked up previously, and that was for Briarfest Live. <laughs> everything else was new and tack for the first time. 
put it up together on the table for the first time at the show. Don't actually recommend that, but I've been doing this a long time <laughs> so I can get away with it. Um, but um, everything's brand new. So I none of almost nothing I had to show at Burke's I would have been able to show at Trixie. So that was my why I made that Got decision. Um, right. Plus, it was just a short, shorter drive. It was a little less expensive, blah, blah. Um, but anyway, did well in performance. Um, I had reserve champions in custom other performance, and that was based on one horse winning one class. So bombs away. Um, I had reserve Western in custom, reserve Western in, in OF. My English horse in custom went champ. And then was overall reserve performance champ for custom. And that's a horse I I put back on for the first time 24 hours before he went to the ring. <laughs> Good times. He's fun. I knew he's going to be fun, though. He's fun. It's that he was the, the Purdy custom uh, Copper Fox stock sport horse. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I bought that. Uh, for It was a benefit horse for the Jennifer for, Show. Uh, for the Jennifer show, and I realized uh, I don't have any tack that fits him, and he's a super duper performance horse, and you were in love with that mold. Yes, so we made it. He is a super duper performance horse. And I'm glad he, he did, did really well. well. So. so I'm very happy with him. And um, I had a couple championships right. in Halter too. Halter was super competitive, so hooray. Who ch- who champed in Halter um, for you? Let me think. My in the artist resin mini division, my Oron by painted by Steph Blaylock was oh, overall yeah. mini yeah. resin king. Um, I had champion, champion other breed with a, a mittens resin named Harpo. Um, champion light Harpo. breed was my, my Basque painted by Meredith Warren. Yeah. Oh, nice. And I had, a oh, I had a reserve champion sport horse too, who was, uh, that small scale standing warm blood that Tracy Collar did a hundred thousand years ago. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Nice. Um, so those, that's how I did. It's good. Yes. Sweet. Okay, so I went to uh, Backwoods Live. Uh, that happens in this is a little tiny show in Divide, Colorado that Amber Schultz has. Um, it was a two-day show. I only went the first day because mm-hmm. I had to work Sunday. And uh, I uh, conned Jennifer Buxton, who has been in a hobby, uh, in the hobby dumper, <laughs> if you will. We love you, Jen. Uh she was she's uh, not been uh motivated so i was like you you, you didn't come with me right you got to come with me let's go with you know well ta- i'm not even going overnight i'm going to leave it or dark 30 in the morning so let's go so she decided to come and she uh she brought just horses she painted and i took a t- a, a ton of minis cuz they were still kind of packed right for me hours uh, chicago yeah. and then i took like six full-size horses and we went we showed halter and we hobnobbed with uh you know fabian rodriguez and uh sandy sanderson and vicky kitzman and dana dipolito just you know all mm-hmm. the usual suspects Teresa Fedak, um and renee grinlaw was there and she was you know getting her judge on uh she uh mentored uh the kids and cause they had a, a youth show separate, uh, called little oh, tree cute. show. So that was great. They have five showers, which is up from the three at Good. my show. And then there's going to be six at clash of colors. So dang, we're, we're slowly That's growing. Nice. It. We're growing That's it, nice. man. Um, uh, and you know, it was just, you know, it was, it was laid back was done. We were done with halter by oh, one o'clock and Amber always makes food. So, you know, she made barbecue and it was fantastic. Um, 
and Kinsey, uh, no, or not Kinsey Parr, uh, Glenna uh, Yancey, who's a younger uh, hobbyist, was there. Uh, it, it, you know, it's just it's a fun, casual show. The stakes aren't really high, and everybody just goes to have a good time and see each other. One of the things I really enjoy about the Colorado show scene is everyone good. gets along. Uh, politics and religion are not discussed. Um, and there are there's definite divisions in that. Um, uh, and it, no one just no one Good. brings it up because we're more interested in keeping our 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 part of the region and our relationships together. So, you know, it's always super good. fun. Uh, so I had a good time and we packed up the car and we went back down the mountain and. Uh, and then it snowed the next day. <laughs> That's a good thing you came back down the mountain. <laughs> so. So yeah, so uh, so kudos for Amber for having that show. I know she's going to make some changes to how she holds things, but uh, you know it's always fun to go up to Divide and see Sweet. everybody. Uh, all right, now we're going to talk about Class of Colors again. We talked about it during the roundtable, so uh, you know I think uh, we don't have to plug any plug it too much, except that you know I I really enjoy that it's going to be a uh, new and exciting uh, classless. Not so much with the the halter because we've you know I'm. I've seen plenty of kind of yellow card shows that do yep. it by color, and that's always great fun. Everybody enjoys that. But the the breed performance. I like that idea. Classes. I wish I could come to this Everybody show. Everybody is super excited about that. So, uh, you know, you're welcome I can't. to get, out, get your I ass can't. out here. I'm working. Oh, you're working. That's right. <laughs> I already checked that out. Yeah. <laughs> So that so that's going to be a good time, you know. Jen is, as you heard, is plotting, plotting, and uh, uh, Sandy's coming, and oh, it's, be, it's it'll be, be a bloodbath. Blood <laughs> uh, the really unique thing about this is during breed, you can't show the horse anywhere else, so horses can all be pre-tacked. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's that's going to cut down on a lot of hassle. There's also uh, Renee at the last minute added a uh, youth show, so we've got five youth coming to that. Oh, um, excellent, and. I am judging artist resin and custom glaze. So the only horses I will be showing uh, are uh, the customized plastic. I believe I may show a couple of OF Chinas, uh, but I'm, I'm super excited. It's, it's, it's good to have another show in the region, especially one that's uh, uh, this, this uh, well thought out and kind of edgy yeah. in a way. Uh, moving moving on. on. So um, up, just looking forward to 2019 now. For West of the big uh, yes. stuff that's coming up, um, Briar West in March in uh, the Portland-ish area. I don't know if I'm going to get to Briar West or not this year. My big conference is moved that I usually go to in that month is moving to February, and I still got to like hash out and see what's going on. So does that make it easier? It probably or makes harder? it easier because I'm not back to back in weekends. Of course, the the, the other wrench in the works is uh, their tour dates for you know. Mr. Mr. Candy oh, yeah, so he's going to announce in December, uh, right? He, yeah. He's announcing them probably in about a month, and the tickets will all go on sale. So it'll be uh, it'll be forty eight hours of of crazy bananas here, you know, trying to decide dates and trying to get time off and trying to buy tickets and organizing the stuff. And when that happened last year for um, this past the two thousand eighteen tour, it was it was a rough forty eight hours. <laughs> like it got the dust finally settled, but oh my. <laughs> but didn't the dates land smack on Briar? One of the dates oh, yeah. land smack on Briar yes, West. Yes, weird out the Apollo Theater. So sorry. Go into that over almost anything. So yeah, so we'll see what happens because um, I don't know exactly how that tour is going to work. But uh, 
and how it's going to affect the rest of my life. But there you right. are. So, uh, Briar West, uh, I know that um, uh, the judges have been mm-hmm. locked in for the most part. I know Sandy is judge. Sandy Sanderson is judging mm. performance. Uh, Kylie Parks is judging uh, custom. Yeah, that would be some reasons uh, to go. There's a ton of uh, workshops that are going on, and I've uh, I've talked to Aaron about doing a de- uh, definitive uh, uh, listing of stuff. But I, I, you know, before the show happens, but we really, do, I just really wanted to put that on yeah. people's radar that that's happening again. It's happening in Albany, um, and it's a great show. Aaron's a uh, you know. It's a well-run show. She's she's a good show holder. Oh yeah, she's a super show holder. She's elite. Um, and uh, you know, if you can make it out there, I would. You know, if you can't, if you're on the West Coast and you can't make it to Briar go to, Fest, yeah, go to Briar you know, West. This is the next best thing. Good time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, then coming up in April, I would be. <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't yeah, plug say, my own. Coming show. Coming up in April, uh, we have Candyland Live. Do you want to talk about <laughs> this other? <laughs> Uh, it's all candy prizes. Uh, it's uh, a collectability show. I would say yellow card, but uh, as of now, I have decided not to apply for uh, as a NAMSA membership show. That could change, but as of right now, I'm 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 mm-hmm. I'm out. But but giant gummy bears. Come on, people! Giant gummy giant bears. gummy bears. Those I are will prizes. be a Candyland live. Uh, she will be at Candyland Live. Uh, we have a very unique performance division as well. We have youth. We have uh, amateur artists. We have color classes for uh, custom glaze, customized artist resin. We have collectability for OF Plastic and yeah. OF China. Uh, plus, we're going to have a swap meet. This show gets over really early. Uh, it's usually done. Though, well, I should say usually. We had it last year. It was done by 1 o'clock. Um Oh, I figure it's going to be a little bit bigger with more entries and a bigger venue. So it'll be two kind of. And then after that, we'll have a swap meet and we'll hang out and sell stuff to each other and be out by five. It'll be super nice. casual. So uh, I have most of the judges lined up. Uh, we have some people coming out. Uh, Tiffany Purdy's coming out to judge performance. Uh, I'm hoping to get Steph Blaylock for the youth show because she was so great yeah. at Rocky Mountain Sprinkling. So that's all I got Yay. to say about that. And then 2019 is also the Jennifer show in the fall, correct? Uh, yeah, the Jennifer show is Rocky Mountain Spring Fling's sister show. We alternate because we don't want to step on each mm-hmm. other's toes each year for people traveling. Uh, it is also at Arapahoe County Fairgrounds. Uh, it is going to have a huge performance division like it did last time. Artist classes, the normal... Artist resin, uh, customized, custom glazed, OF China, and they're going to have um, mini classes as well. I believe Kylie's coming out for that. Liesel, uh, Doubt's coming out. Doubt Beef's mm-hmm. coming out for performance. Um, not sure who else. Can't remember off the top of my head, but you know they have so many people donate to this show. The prizes are just insane. You know, I won. I won a painted Raja <laughs> last year. Great. Nice, a like nice twelve hundred twelve hundred dollar horse at least. Yeah. So, uh, and I also won a uh, white wear uh, Darcy oh, sweet. from the China classes. So, in every single class, there were little uh, little medallions and 
little chess piece heads and you know little uh tiny uh, tiny pente pieces and little ribbon it was just such a good show so i encourage anybody that can make it out next uh next year in the fall for the jennifer show to to come on out have you looked at the dates i haven't looked at the dates i'm not dealing with that until we get the the yank fix thing figured out uh, yeah, gotcha. It's, there's gotcha. a lot of things that are in the air right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I think that's everything. Of course, you know we got Briarfest yep. next year. Um, I've already forgotten the theme? theme. I know I'm there going. Gosh, I hope she knows what the theme is because I don't. It's not racehorses. I don't remember. I don't either. God, we suck. <laughs> sure. All right. <laughs> um, we'll yeah, we'll tell I'm you sure next someone, time. Someone's... I'm sure you're you, yell at the yell radio at the ra- right you just now. Yell at your, your, your machine right now. Let us know. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, um, oh, I would be remiss if I did. Uh, I didn't mention. I forgot. Uh, I know we said last time, but I really, I, I won't be able to go. I don't think uh, Jackie can go, but uh, Kylie Parks is. Oh, yeah. Califragilistic yeah. in January. Like the class list is another innovative class list. I'm really excited about that show. So uh, if you have the ability to go Sweet. check it out. All right. All right. I think that's all for upcoming hobby. I think events. it's about time to put this thing to yeah. bed. It's about time. One flows. M-I-C-K-M-A-R-E-S. Anyway. All right. Uh, all right so so yeah. close now still always looking for sponsors um looking for shout outs heather's got a whole page about how to uh get those kind of worked up so you know contact us at info at mares and black we can get you hooked up um yep. still looking for youth mentoring mentee volunteers it doesn't have to be strictly youth we'll take adult mentor like mentees too yeah yeah do you want to learn you want to learn you want to teach give us hey. a where where all right. again info at marisonblack.com and finally, and finally still have please, please buy, buy some, some swag, swag. <laughs> there are two boxes up in my horse room taking a valuable horse room <laughs> if i could consolidate them to one box i would be happy <laughs> so we got t-shirts we got tote bags um we got hats we're gonna bring some to stampede yeah, I, think I think we could be able to do that um yeah, we we did do the poll for the other color shirts. We still haven't figured that part out yet. Yeah, we're kind of, we're probably gonna not execute till after yeah. the first of the year for that. But we'll probably take orders for so those shirts because like poor Jackie cannot be. I can't be the warehouse you know, a store. <laughs> I trust me, I can't. And I'm I am the world's worst shipper, so you don't want me to deal with it. Yeah, so uh, buy swag, buy, buy our stuff. Swag. I ship it really quickly. It comes fast. She does. She is the world's greatest shipper. Say they'll go that far, but for this, it goes out really fast. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Ask Bernard <laughs> McCoslin. Okay, I think we're done here. Uh, the next show is going to be Stampede. Uh, we will uh, be heading that way on yep. the ninth. I think Jackie's showing up on yep, the eighth. Late on the eighth, because it's easier. I don't show up till yep. late on the ninth. We will. Uh, we will take videos and get interviews and lounge in the spa and keep you apprised of everything that's going on. So, uh, hopefully on the ninth, we'll edit it pretty quickly. Once we get back, we're going to do some post-show festivities and, uh, 
hang out with the Arizona yeah, people. Yeah, be fun. Hopefully it won't be 110. Yeah, it might just be 80. <laughs> That's cold out there. It is cold. Like, uh, um, 85. Get your sweaters, man. Get your sweaters. We're from Arizona. Uh, okay. Uh, so, uh, you guys, you know, contact us with any ideas you have. Like we said, we're going to try and execute all the ideas we had from the, the poll. Uh, and I think that's all I got. Yeah, I, I have uh, nothing else. All right. Uh, we, where are we at? We are at 145. Without interviews. Mm. But with some nonsense. Yes. But a bunch of nonsense. We love you guys. We appreciate you listening and we'll talk to you soon. Have a good night. <laughs>